our podcast this week, we have another trio of incredible guests, thanks to the king of overbooking. First up, Paul Andrew Williams, writer and director of the brutal and brilliant Bull. Then we set all kinds of fiendish traps for Home Sweet Home Alone stars Rob Delaney and Ellie Kemper. And we get naked, albeit fully clothed, thankfully, with Mike Lee and David Thewlis as their masterpiece is re-released. All that and more on the movie podcast that carried a scared doggy up the escalator at Camden this morning. Because not all heroes wear capes. Or those cute little booties on their feet. Or those cute little Christmas jumpers that they have for doggies. Oh, it's so sweet I could eat you up. No, 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 no. Oh, a good dog. Oh, a good dog. Oh, no, no, you're a good dog. You're oh my God. Hello, Pod. <laughs> I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. Once again, I'm joined in the pod booth by three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Very, very excited about this. Very mm. excited about this. Not excited, of course, by our geek queen, Helen O'Hara. Thanks. Well, you know. Yeah, whatever. It's kind you? of, you know, you've, been here, from... you've been here a while. You're part of the fixture and fittings. I flew back from Northern Ireland to be here. Thank you very much. So Did you? Because did. when you decided that you wanted to spend the rest of your life doing a podcast, you wanted the rest of your life to start right away? <laughs> as soon as possible. <laughs> Were you running through the airport? Was it an airport run? It was an airport run, yeah, towards a microphone. It was, it was you, very emotional. You woke up bolt upright this morning. I need to get to an airport. And in Northern Ireland, you have to explain to people what an airport is. I mean, Obviously. yeah, and then you have to pay a pound to get dropped off yeah, in Belfast by the ferryman who crosses. Yeah. The- <laughs> Did you go to the Tato vending machine that is there in, in Belfast Airport? Obviously, I'm not a savage. <laughs> I engage in the local culture. Oh, it's so good when you come to Northern Ireland. You are greeted by Mr. Tato. You are literally. Yeah, yeah it's true. He welcomes you into his home. Uh, you may once you go into Tato Castle, you can you can have the run of the place, but of course, do not go into any rooms where the doors are locked. Okay. <laughs> All right. I once stayed at Tato Castle. I was woken up at three in the morning uh, by a scratching noise outside my window. I opened the window to see Mr. Tato uh, clambering down the, the walls of Tato Castle uh, upside down. And then I was attacked oh. by three brides of Tato. Anyway. <laughs> what did a bride of Tato look like? I'm, never like, mind. Like I a giant potato in a dress. Just a potato in a yeah, dress. Like Maybe a sexy some... fuckable potato. <laughs> like I really want to fuck that potato. Please do not. I, I do. I Look, I'm, I'm begging you not to explain what you mean by a fuckable potato. <laughs> really. Let's move on. Ben's here. Ben's Hello. here. Hello, Ben. Ben Travis, the how, nicest man in showbiz. How did you segue from fuckable potato to me? Is that something I should be worried about? <laughs> You've got a friend in me. Oh, no. no. <laughs> what? So you're picturing this as Mr. Potato Head and what yeah, several obviously. Mrs. Potato Heads yeah. as yeah. the brides of potato. Yeah, not like a giant sentient potato. That'd be really strange. That like that massive monkey chow. Like that massive potato they found last week. Was it in New Zealand? They dug up this huge, crazy huge potato. It might be the biggest potato there's ever been. I giant did... potato present. And it looks like it looks like a mandrake. It looks like the thing that Ophelia puts under the bed in Pan's Labyrinth. Helen, didn't yeah. you just do a Q&A in Northern Ireland for a film called Mandrake? I did just do a Q&A for a film in Northern Ireland called Mandrake. Um, was it about a giant fuckable potato? It, it was very much not, but it was about digging up roots. So... Wow. It's all connected. Mind blown. <laughs> mind blown. But listen, if your mind was blown by that, by our geek queen, Helen O'Hara, and by the nicest man in show business... 
especially now Michael Palin pulled that train job last week. Did you see that? No, again, Chris. Wild! His lawyers keep getting in touch. Do not say this. Do not reveal the truth about Michael Palin is what they keep saying. It's true. It's absolutely true. It's not absolutely true. 12.33 to Exeter. Michael Palin hijacked it and then held it to ransom for several million dollars. Again, Dollars as well. Very specific. (laughs) Very specific. I want two million dollars and a big potato, he said. Anyway... Now the truth about Michael Palin is out there. No, again, uh, not I am truth. delighted, delighted to welcome to the Empire podcast for the first time Woo. Empire's social media editor. What a time to be alive oh. that we have such a thing. <laughs> wow. Uh, the one, the only, making her debut on the Empire podcast, but not her last appearance on the Empire podcast, unless you're shit, Sophie. Don't be shit. Yeah, I hope not. Sophie Butcher. Yay! Hello! Hi, guys. One of us, one of us, one of us, one of us. Jug, jug, oh, no, jug, don't. jug. The no? greater okay. good, the greater good, the greater good. The greater good. Welcome, Sophie. What is the sexiest potato you've ever seen? I don't know about that, but did everyone see the headline about some, some guy saying that he'd found the biggest chip ever in Weatherspoons? Was yes, it on I his shoulder? did see that. Uh, don't believe so. Okay. I didn't actually read the article, so it could have been. <laughs> this well, long chip thing things. came out last night, the yep. week after the world's biggest potato was found, and I thought that they'd immediately turn that massive potato into, into chips. chips. But, but at Weatherspoons, that doesn't at seem Weatherspoons like in the UK, no. when I think, as I said, it was a New Zealand potato. It, uh, but yeah. the the Facebook group, I believe, about how many chips you get at Weatherspoons is like quite a phenomenon. So I think this big chip is like quite a big deal. This is wild. That's my potato news for the week anyway. This is wild. Wow. That's, okay. that's fantastic. Uh, so Sophie, who are you? <laughs> I am Sophie. How did you get in here? <laughs> I don't know how they let me in here. I was listening to this a few months ago and now I'm here. Um, I'm Sophie. I'm from Middlesbrough, hence the accent. Um, I've been here a couple of months now. I run our social media feeds. Tell us about yourself. Middlesbrough, yep. Yeah. Only moved to London a couple of months ago. Um, so I haven't been here that long, but I'm really enjoying it. Favourite films? Favourite films... James asked me this in the interview and it was one of those things like every film title left mm-hmm. my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but The Matrix, um, Raw, which Julia Ducournau, mm-hmm. go see Titan. It's out mm-hmm. this year. It's amazing. Arrival, Donnie Darko. Amazing, amazing. I think they're my top few. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's, what's your specialty? If you were on Mastermind, what would your special subject my be? My special subject. Mm. Now it's more TV than film, but it would probably be Friends. Get out. Oh, friends, we get back in there. Yeah, you know when people do friends, some people do it, don't they? I've watched that show so many times. I always ace it. All right, okay. That's my special subject. Well, well, well. Just so happens that you were talking to a friend. Oh, no, you're going to quiz me now. I am going to quiz you. The one Uh, where Chris quizzes Sophie on the Empire podcast. The one where Sophie regrets saying this is her special subject. No, 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 no. I'm going to give you three friends questions. Uh, complete uh, Complete this list. Ross, Rachel, Phoebe, Joey, Chandler. Monica. Correct. <laughs> wow. I think she may be a friend super fan. In-depth knowledge here, Chris. This is okay. unreasonable. What wow. is the name of the cafe in which the friends frequently frequent? Well, who mm. could know such a thing? Oh, wow. Don't give her a clue. I have to no. go to my mind palace for this one. I think it's Central Perk. All right. What is the name uh, that is on the TV guide that uh, Chandler receives? Mrs. Janandler Bong actually miss Janadler. But yeah, listen, you know, as Meatloaf once said, two out of three ain't bad. No. He also said I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Mm. I think he was talking about fucking a potato. 
But anyway, welcome. Welcome, Sophie. Thank you. One of us. One of us. Anyway, uh, Sophie is now a colleague of Such Lethal Cunning. Welcome to the podcast. And um, and shall we get into it? Sure. Yeah. Let's do it. 25 minutes in. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, so let's have a listener question. So uh, yesterday I asked for some listener questions because I looked at the stock of listener questions I have and they're fine. They're good. They're decent. And we will get to them in due course. But nothing really leapt out at me. Uh, so the question is, it is from long time listener, but I think first time questioner. Warren York at Was York on Twitter, and he asks, "He's from Northern Ireland, by the way." Yeah, he is. Yeah, you're right. So the Northern Irish Mafia is once again taking over the show. So it is. So it is. <laughs> we will give you a nice pair of concrete boots <laughs> to go with those lovely jeans you got down the shops. Was York, the trance-inducing movie Hypnotic came out recently on Netflix. And it portrays yet another evil hypnotherapist. See also Danny Boyle's trance and Get Out, among others. What other occupations frequently get a bad rap in movies? P.S. I'm a hypnotherapist. I'm mostly not evil. <laughs> I'm a hypnotherapist. I'm mostly not evil. I'm a hypnotherapist. I'm mostly. Oh, God. This is exactly how Michael Caine pulled that train job. He hypnotized everybody. So Michael he's a Caine. He's Michael in Caine. Michael Caine. He's yeah. evil. Sorry. Oh, no. Yeah. I forgot to tell you. It's, it's the Michaels. They've all come together. The Michael Mafia. Yeah. Fresh scoop from Trent Babbis. <laughs> <laughs> evil reporter. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yes. So. Uh, is there an evil hypnotherapist in trance? I mean, yeah, kind of. Is there? Wouldn't you say? James McAvoy's not a hypnotherapist in that, is he? No, Rosario Dawson is. No, Rosario Dawson is. is She's good. There's quite a lot of, like, you know, dodgy stuff around hypnotism throughout film history, like Spellbound and stuff as well. Mm -hmm. I think we don't trust other people getting into our minds, necessarily. Caligari as well, go way back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. evil hypnotism shit right Uh, there. Oh no, I got told off once for spoiling The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, I mean, mean, 80 years after it came out. (laughs) You know, I would argue The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari was already spoiled because it's a bit wonky. Quite frankly, if you, if you, if you, if you, if you shoddy woodwork, it's really shoddy. It's just it's not level at all. If you bought that it's from just, IKEA, you'd take it back. It's warped over time. It's very old. <laughs> that's all. Um, I have an answer for this actually. Oh, I really? I think the most, one of the most, anyway, um, put upon professions in the movies is social worker. I think you very, very, very rarely see a social worker portrayed in a positive light in the movies. Maybe Mariah Carey in Precious, based on the book by Sapphire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes based yes. on the novel Push by Sapphire yes let's give it its full title um, you know it deserves it Precious but... from the Book of Saw <laughs> <laughs> uh, Precious yeah. the Fellowship of the of the Ring I'm uh, going to say yeah. instant, instant Family has uh, good social workers that is true who, um, who do good jobs but and... I would say that's I mean those are the vanishingly small majority it's generally portrayed as oh the social workers are coming to rip families apart to you know, they're, they're portrayed as a threat to kind of especially lower income families in the movies. They are a menace a lot of the time. They take kids away against their will. They put them in unsafe environments. You know, they, they deny people the benefits that they need to get by. You know, it's a really maligned profession when you consider that basically everyone who goes into it does so to try and do good. I'm not just saying this as the daughter of a social worker. Um, oh, here we go. She's in the pocket of big social work. I'm workers. in the pocket of big social work. Well, he he spent his last 27 years of work at the NSPCC. So, you know, similar work, but for a different source. But 
like I genuinely think there's a there's a bit of a, an issue there. I think they they get a, a bum rap. Like family destroyers and also often people who are like working in a system that is ineffectual so they themselves also feel ineffectual yeah, as yeah. well. And they're the face of the system so the, the movie makes them personally responsible for the ineffectualness and doesn't always make it clear that it comes from a massive lack of funding by right-wing governments over generations. You know, for example. For example. For example. I, I would say there are always going to be exceptions to any profession yes, we say absolutely. here. So, you know, mm-hmm. you could say, for example... Some, sometimes journalists don't get the best yeah. rap. That is true. And especially female journalists are forever sleeping with their sources. And yes. I'll be honest, I have not slept with any of the A-list stars I have interviewed. So <laughs> this is... I want to try and know it. <laughs> 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 exactly... will you be going back for June part two? <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly the kind of attitude I would expect from someone who has watched too many films with female journalists. Uh, well, on that note, I was going to say <laughs> magazine editors. That was mine. Yeah. Wow. Well, you go. You take the lead. No, well, that was that was just one that I could think of. I was thankfully that hasn't been my experience so far at Empire. But um, yeah, Devil Wears Prada sprung sprung to mind, mm. and uh, magazine editors, big bosses, Tilda Swinton as well in that Amy Amy train wreck train wreck oh yeah she's awful in yeah that. she's yeah. amazing but she's yeah. awful yeah honestly this could apply to so many uh, professions mm. we are people who work for the Empire. And I think the people who work for the Empire in Star Wars get a bad rap <laughs> as well. Finally, bringing some order to the galaxy. That's it. They're just they're just going about their jobs. Oh, boy. And then, you know, and if that job happens to involve the obliteration of a few planets that have stepped out of line, then so be it. Mm-hmm. Look, if you go all the way back, the taxation of trade routes, right? <laughs> <laughs> there, there are reasons why this all happened. Okay, I, I mean, I feel like they're not the most unfairly maligned, what with the whole genocide <laughs> and all, but I appreciate your attempts to look out for them. Discipline, Helen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Discipline. That's what it is. Disciplinarians, now they're a put-upon group, and fairly yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Trunchbull just wanted to teach those kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 Which is true. I mean, you know, there, there are teachers who get a, a bad rap. Yeah, yeah, you some know? teachers. Yeah, but I think yeah. they're kind of probably balanced by the inspirational teachers who change yeah. lives forever. You wouldn't stand on your desk and go, oh, Captain, my Captain, for Fletch from Whiplash, would you? Even though he, not, Even terrifying. if he had raised you to a different level? By throwing chairs at you and yelling in your face? No, I, I, I don't think he's a he's an oh captain my captain type. No, to be honest. Yeah, one that's like more of a, a modern sort of addition to this conversation, I guess, is um like influencers and uh, like tech bro dudes. I feel like they're always made fun of in film and TV stuff like that. Can I just say mostly rightly so on the tech yeah. bros? <laughs> I mean, yeah, tech bros absolutely deserve it. Like, I'm, I don't want to say anybody deserves abuse yeah. on screen, but like tech bros 100% do. Uh, sorry, tech bros listening. <laughs> Influencers is an interesting one, right? Yeah. Though, because I feel like there probably are some influencers slash content creators out there who like are good people full of ideas and they have found like digital avenues to create things of Mm. worth Um, but I feel like at the moment all of the like influencer stuff in films is like vapid people on Instagram sort of Ingrid Goes West springs Mm. to mind which obviously there is a large part of that on the internet as well but I feel like there's probably a subsection of like good online content creators Mm. who haven't quite got their due yet what about podcasters? Now, obviously, we've talked in the past about the podcasters in Halloween mm-hmm. yep. and how very bad at their jobs they are. Very, very Terrible. bad. Very bad at and their jobs. And deservedly murdered. 
I mean, I wasn't going to uh, say deservedly, but, you know, I they, can't disagree. Discipline, Helen. Discipline. <laughs> <laughs> they stepped out of line. But I will say there is a film coming up. Um, I don't want to spoil a Ooh. very minor reveal. Oh, this is exciting. I don't no, know what this seen is. It. You've seen it. Have I? Yeah, we saw it on the same day. Did we? Yeah. What is it? Ghostbusters. Oh, that's right. And there's a very cute podcaster in it who's lovely. He's yeah. called Podcast. He, he is, is called Podcast. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. So, so maybe that good. balances out. Yeah. And then, of course, there was uh, Brian Tyree Henry's character in Godzilla vs. Kong. Mm-hmm. Who oh, was, no. He who was, was terrible. A, well, he, yeah, he was a conspiracy theorist podcaster, and I wasn't sure about his recording methods at all. And um, it, it led to my line of the year, which I've said in the podcast before, but where Kyle Chandler tells Millie Bobby Brown that podcast has turned your brain to mush. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I felt that. At, at least we ha- yeah. at least we have our tagline now for this one. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So I think you're, you're absolutely right. Podcasters uh, are so far because we're it's such a new profession, mm-hmm. and it's at the it's at the forefront of human evolution. I, I think in many many ways <laughs> uh, and societal evolution, and we will one day be held up as as gods uh, by the rest of you, the plebs. In 2001, one of the monoliths should have just been like a podcast microphone. <laughs> well, that's what it is. humanity onto the next that's stage what of evolution. It is. Yeah. If you look at the monolith, it looks very much like one of the new Shure microphones that they brought up, the SM7, I think. <laughs> the, 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 the monkey throws the bone in the air and it turns into a microphone. <laughs> it lands back on Earth on the Empire podcast this week. <laughs> oh, my God. I now want to hear a podcast from the monkeys in 2001. Yes. There'd be so much to discuss on prehistoric Earth. Come on. <laughs> Oh, podcast hosted by Hal. That'd be amazing. <laughs> it ends with a sing-along each week. He starts with, with Daisy Daisy. Uh, then he goes through a repertoire of different nursery rhymes. Yeah. What are you doing, Dave? Could be a great segment. What is Dave doing this week? Uh, so yes, podcasters, I think. In time, film will come to recognise us as the heroes that we are. We truly are. <laughs> Those right. ones in Halloween, though, are truly like they're it's awful. not that just they're like ho- like terrible people. It's also just that their podcast technique is extremely bad. They turn up at Laurie Strode's house mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. try and speak to her about what happened forty years ago, and instead of just conducting a normal interview where they talk to her like a normal person and try and get her experiences, they're like, "Oh, so you really think you saw the boogeyman, do you?" <laughs> like a really like hostile line of questioning, and it's like. You've barged into this person's home. She is giving you some time that you probably don't deserve. That is terrible, terrible interview technique. We all do interviews here. And Chris, is this your interview technique? It's exactly my interview technique. I listened to the David Gordon Green interview on the Halloween Kills spoiler special, which is out now. Oh, good. I like that. Synergy. Synergy. See, not all heroes wear capes. And... Your questions were much better than those podcasters. Yeah, but I re-record those questions, Ben. In, <laughs> yeah. in the room at the time, I'm like, so you really think you directed a movie about a man with a mask who goes around killing people, do you? And then I throw him $5,000. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just lob money at the screen. Chris, there's a better way. There's a cheaper way. <laughs> there's a better and cheaper way. Well, I'm interviewing Rob Delaney and Ellie Kemper later on, so maybe I'll try your new holistic way of, of asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> see if I can do that. Just be nice. Ask questions about the movie. Oh yeah. Ask homeopathic is... journalism. I really like this. I can I can lay my hands on them through the screen, through the screen, and go. Uh-huh. How do you feel about Home Sweet Home Alone? Wow. What if I What if I do this? <laughs> <laughs> How do you like booby traps? Not in you know uh, in a sex way. At least you're getting this all out now. Okay, this is the practice run. 
Maybe <laughs> maybe less of the touching, less of the, the stroking, I, even no through a screen. No mention of boobies, you know, something like that. Damn it, you're not giving me a lot of, lot to go in here. Uh, <laughs> yes, anyway, podcasters are uh, definitely, I think, the way to go. All films from now on should have a podcaster and they should be... The hero. The hero, ideally. <laughs> uh, the sexy hero who gets lots of money at the end and, and, and sleeps with all the people. Wow. My life rights are available. <laughs> <laughs> For 50p. <laughs> 50p. <laughs> Not enough heroes in movies sexually disappoint people. I think I think this is something. This is a real avenue that uh, they could explore with with uh, a movie based on my life. <laughs> oh my god! Anyway, hello, Sophie. <laughs> Welcome to the Empire Podcast. <laughs> Tell the people a bit about yourself. Oh, I like potatoes. There we go. That's my fact. <laughs> All right, bit by bit, I'm getting to know you through yep. this through the medium of podcasting, and that is why I'm a hero. One last profession I'm going to throw in: mm-hmm. clowns. I was going to say clowns. Clowns. Please elaborate. Well, I feel like some people just like, if anyone's watched Modern Family, Cam from Modern Family loves dressing up as a clown. There's an official name for dressing as a clown. I can't remember what it is. Clown. But there's, <laughs> also, like, there's like an official term for it and I can't remember what it yeah, is. Yeah, but there's also colorophobia, which is the fear of clowns. Yeah. I may not be pronouncing that correctly. Yeah. Sam has it on the TV show Supernatural. Mm. Does he? Yeah, like he fights monsters all day, mm. can't take clowns. Really? Yep. I mean, clowns are very creepy. You go back even to like Dumbo, animated clowns Ooh. are also like nasty people. They're mean to Dumbo. They're He's a good elephant. Mm. And Joker's Helen, of course, Jokers are very much maligned. No, they're correctly, correctly. It's just like a dog chasing cars. They wouldn't know what to do with it if they got one mm-hmm. or carrying a dog up an escalator. No, like dog's good, Joker's bad. I, I feel like this is very clear to me. I don't see how you don't see it. Okay. And cats, cats get a bad rap. In, in movies as well. <laughs> well, they get bad rap in cats anyway. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, on that uh, jellical note. Oh no. <laughs> on that jellical note, uh, let's move on. Uh, thank you so much indeed, Waz York, for hypnotizing us and making me read out that question. If you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast, you can get in touch with me via Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt. You can slide into my DMs. You can reply to any of my tweets. Uh, you can wait for a panicked shout out every now and again, like Warren York did. So there we go. Right. Time now for our first guest this week. Who do you want? We have Paul Andrew Williams or Ellie Kemper and Rob Delaney. Let's go for Paul Andrew Williams. Let's go for Paul Andrew Williams. Uh, so Bull, Fantastic Bull came out last week. It is a cracking revenge thriller along the lines of Kill List. Which is interesting when you hear this interview with the writer-director Paul Andrew Williams uh, in terms of its similarities to Kill List. It stars Neil Maskell as a man called Bull who, um, after laying low for 10 years after something heinous goes down in the past involving his son, comes back to punish the people responsible. He does so in all kinds of brutal and grisly ways. It is absolutely fantastic. It's out now in cinemas. And Paul Andrew Williams is someone who has been, you know, he made the likes of Cherry Tree Lane and London to Brighton and The Cottage. And then he made Song for Marion, that movie with Vanessa Redgrave and Terence Stamp in 2012. And since then, he hasn't made a movie. He's been working exclusively in TV. So this is his first film in nine years. And so I jumped on Zoom with him yesterday in fact and we had a good old in-depth chat about bull do please enjoy we are delighted to be joined on the emperor podcast by the writer and director of bull mr paul andrew williams how the devil are you sir oh the devil am i yeah um yeah i'm all right uh i'm i'm very good thank you i'm very excited 
to be trying to look at your DVD cases, uh, Blu-ray cases behind you, trying to see if I can recognise anything. Oh, good luck with that. In the, in, I mean, there's certainly a few, isn't there? There's a few. There's, there's, the bulk's the bulk's off camera. That's where the Disney section is behind <laughs> the camera. You don't want you don't want you don't want famous people looking at your DVD collection. I mean that that's you know you can't have that. Come on, Paul, stop stop being a foyer. I, I to be honest, I do think it's interesting looking at DVD collections because you see some, you know, and we basically when we're looking at locations. Whenever we go around to someone's house to just sort of see if a location is going to work kind of thing, I always look at the DVDs. Yeah. First of all, to see if any of my films are in there so I can say I did that. Uh, and secondly, just to sort of try and decipher what type of person it is who has made this collection up. Yeah. There is always something about a physical copy yeah. that is, you know, you, can, you can't have your, st- your streamers on the shelf for people to ogle. No, it's true. It's true. But also there's the whole thing about being a you know, sort of gatekeeper of, of physical media in case that giant corporation suddenly decides that they don't want the, the, the rights to, the, you know, to a certain film and then that certain film just disappears into the ether. Whereas if you have it on DVD or Blu-ray, then... You know, it's weird because obviously being of a certain generation, you know, the, when you used to go into, when HMVs were everywhere and mm. you used to be able to go in and there'd be floors dedicated to genres and films and it just used to be really interesting not only to see what films were available but also just to see what extras a blu-ray had you know if you think about it with, with when dvds finally came out and you started to see much more stuff about how a film was made and mm-hmm. uh, and see much many more things about it which you know you sort of get a little bit now on itunes perhaps but you know, that was the reason why you bought a DVD a lot of the time is because you wanted to see the hour and a half long special uh, making of or the special edition or anything. And I think that's really, I think that's what we're going to be doing with Bull, but not a special edition because there's only, not a special uh, director's cut because there isn't any more footage. <laughs> so it's basically what you see is what you get with Bull. Yeah, I literally do. It was very tight, man. You know, we were thinking we're going to have to get some more GVs to pad this fucker out. <laughs> that is wild. That is wild. Because, uh, you know, I, I, I thought Bull was was fantastic. And, uh, you know, it's under 90 minutes. That also helps. I love a film that's under 90 minutes these days. Yes, please. Thank you very much indeed. But uh, there's no meat on its bone. It's just, it is absolutely pared, pared down, hits a bullseye. So that wasn't necessarily your intention. That was just a a result of not having enough footage. Or what what was your approach? Well, no, I mean, to be honest, the script was always tight. It was always under 90 pages, the script. And, you know, there's lots of, you know, there's films which you want to develop character and you want to do loads of, loads of, want loads of breath, want loads of breathing to go on, you know, throughout the story. But the idea of this is like, look, he's just walking. And he's moving and he's moving and like a great white shark, he just doesn't stop. And yes, there are scenes to, you know, both in the present and in in the sort of um, flashbacks to the previous time where there is, of course, moments of, you know, not quiet, but there are moments to, for the characters actually to breathe and and not do horrible things. But, um, you know, I think it's great if you can watch, and hold your breath for a bit and then you get to the end. And like I say, 88 minutes is mm. 
you know, and it's kind of an, a good time. If it, if it was three hours and seven minutes, it would be, wow. I think we'd have walkouts. <laughs> I don't know, three hours and seven minutes of Neil Maskell cutting people's fingers off, machete and other people, slicing, dicing, shooting, doing the whole thing. I, I think if you, honestly, if you did that, it would become almost like performance art. And therefore I think that could work. Like Zidane, like <laughs> Zidane the movie. Yes. Um, yeah, I think, do you know what? Listen, I love, I love a long film. I, if it gets you, you can, you know, a film can be, you can be, I can be bored watching a 10 minute film uh, and I can be, enthralled you know watching an epic that takes forever mm. um i think it's all about the content and if the content still keeps you interested after a period of time then that's fantastic however long it is mm. so that, so let's let's talk about where it all began for you with bull because you've been working in tv ever since a song for marion uh, came out in 2012 you know, was that was that something that you've been trying to get films off the ground ever since then, or it didn't quite work out? I mean, the thing is, it's sort of like when you you know make song for Marion. I've made a lot of different films, and it's you know, fifteen years ago when I started, or um, it was you know, I was obviously a different person back there, and wasn't mm. kind of sure of what I wanted to, what I was doing it, what I was doing it for, and what I wanted to say, and all that nonsense. And you know, song for Marion came out and. Did, you know, for British film, it um, did a couple of million. It was all, you know, it was it was all right. Um, it was different to what possibly people expected, and mm. you know, it pleased my mum and her friends. You know, so it had a different audience. And then after that, obviously, it was going to be, uh, you know, it was, I had a few ideas that were quite tough ideas to do, and that was proving hard um, because they were darker stories. And then someone talked about uh i think it was murdered for murdered by my boyfriend i got asked to go in and talk about and you know audition you know for that job mm. and basically it was just such a great script i was like i don't care whether this is on you know made on sellotape this is the sort of thing that needs to be told and the bottom line is on the one hand i like telling stories mm-hmm. two it's obviously much better if someone else pays for that story to be told and you know, I've also got a family, I've got to find rent, got to get paid. <laughs> and in low-budget movie making, there's not a lot of money at all. It's very difficult. Yeah. But I'm very grateful to all the TV projects that ever, you know, that I've done and the people who have hired me. Mm. At the same time, were you, was Bull something that you were developing as you were doing stuff in TV? Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, so I've always, I always try and write my ideas that pop up in my head and go, you know, that'll make something really interesting. That'll be a great idea one day. Um, you know, there was a film I was going to do that was, we were 10 days away from shooting. We were out on the tech records in Belgium. And we realised that there was, we had to stop because we didn't have the money. I didn't, I didn't know this, but we didn't have the money. And that was a crushing blow. <laughs> uh, you know, it sort of made me think this is so unfair. Oh, God. When was that? This is probably about 13, 2013. Um, and it was a big, you know, story of, about Robert Kappa, the photographer, the war photographer. And um, so I've spent a lot of time working on that. And, you know, written that script and we had it cast. And that was like a year's work. And it was really hard to take. Oh, my God. And is that, is that completely dead now for you? Yeah, because I, 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 I was right up for hire. 
So even though I wrote the script, it isn't mine. Also, I don't, you know, I probably would read it now and think it was absolute garbage. But at the time, I was like, you know, this could be really, it could be really good. But I think what the other thing is, is things are, maybe things happen for a reason. And that didn't happen. And I probably made something else. You know, I won a BAFTA while I was doing telly. I've done some, we've traveled, you know, made some stuff all over the world. You know, I got married. Uh, you know, lots of things have happened that maybe wouldn't have happened had I done that. No. And did all those live experiences then, did they all feed into Bull in a way? Because Bull, oh, yeah, you know, that, that's what happened. Well, that's the thing because you know, you you are a you know you're not you're not someone who I think is is swathed in misery and yet Bull is a dark, angry movie. Where did that come from? Uh, do you know what? It, it's interesting because I think the first thing came from the fact that I wanted to, you know, having a child, having children, and the sort of what what someone will do in order to make that good, that relationship good or work. The other thing was, um, it's interesting for me how people com- compartmentalize um, different ways of life and different things they do and feel. And we all do it to some degree, but obviously some people do it to the degree of madness where they are very vicious and nasty people, yet very loving towards certain aspects of their life, very loving in, in, in those times. So I was interested in that. And thirdly, I worked in this pub once, just before I made... Uh, not for long before I made Lance Bryant actually I worked in this mm. pub and it was frequented by men who worked in refuse they just were I thought they were absolutely fascinating because none of them had any desire for anything but they turn up at 12 o'clock every day after starting at whatever 6 and just scrapping houses and taking stuff to dumps and stuff like that with cash drink till 5 o'clock be hammered most often drive home in those big scary trucks and they all only worked in cash and they all had little secrets and went off and had little meetings in different parts of the pub and I was like man these characters this is what I think you know underworld crime you know some low grade underworld crime going on and I was interested in telling a story about characters like that Bull in this is a terrifying dude. So is David Heyman uh, as Norm. So yeah. you know, are you drawing from real life for, for that as well? Or are you just looking at these guys from afar and then extrapolating? No, I mean, the thing is, I'm, not, I, I'm clearly uh, not someone who uh, people are afraid of. Um, <laughs> you know, that's exactly what someone who people are afraid of would say. Yeah, but I mean, listen, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a complete coward. Um, so... But what I do think, but I, I, I am interested in the person that is, this guy would do, I think this guy would do anything to get out of this situation mm-hmm. on, the, on the arc. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. the thing about Neil and that character, I think he just would do whatever it took. And if it took no warning cutting that guy's fingers off, it doesn't, it, it, he'd do it. Those are the scary people because you are not, Aware, and you're not sure of where they will go, but you know wherever they will go is not very nice. Mm. Casting Neil in a role like this, in, in a film like this, ten years it was kill this was ten years ago, and you know he's obviously had the uh, you know a, a very very good career since. 
but it surprised me. And he has played roles a little bit similar to Kill List in the past, but it surprised me that no one's really put him in a movie like this since. So was that on your was that on your mind? If I'm honest, uh, genuinely, I've not seen Kill Kill List, and I I saw the trailer, you know, before I knew what it was about, and I knew that there were certain things that happened in it, and I'm like, I don't need that. I can't. I can't take that in my head. Um, and I've and I've spoken to Neil about that. That I just can't do it. So I've seen Neil look ferocious in other things, but because of some of the things I've been told about that film, I just I'm like I can't watch that. It's too it's too much for me. And um, so, but I've always wanted to work with Neil, and we've done. We've you know been we spoke, and he did something for me for a music video for Uncle a while back. And since then, it was like, look, let's try and find something together. Weirdly, I just pitched to the people who were paying for the film who I wanted. Mm. And without a word of a lie, that day, coming out of that meeting, walking to the place where I always get a, or I would always get a smoothie, and Neil was sat in there. And I said, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And I said about this thing, I said, you'd be perfect. This is it. I've got to send, I'll send it to you. And he thought, you know, classic course i'm never going to get anything and then he did get it and he said he wanted to do it and then you know it was a joy man so how quick a turnaround was bull how how quickly did you shoot it and well we shot it in 18 days jesus which was insane uh there were scenes in that in that where we literally had 40 minutes uh, to go right we just need to cover it let's do this you know just we had so little time so uh, has I got you back itching for more? I, I mean, you know, I've just done something, you know, this big sort of show, which I can, I'll, I can not really talk about mm-hmm. on the record. Um, you know, I, I, I like making stuff and I want to make stuff and I need someone to pay for it because <laughs> I haven't got a load of money. And if it's a film, great. I've got ideas and we've got, we're working on something, trying to get money for that. I want to make films because I like the idea of it. I like the, 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 the one-off of it and the concentrated effort it takes to, to make it. But it's, it's just so hard. I think it's just so hard. Unless you've made a massive commercial success. Mm. But then the thing is you've got to make another one. <laughs> That's a real quiz. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can, keep, you can keep going until someone's like, actually, he's not making any more of those. Mm. Then we're not going to give him any more money. Whereas I think people don't look at my films as expecting to make loads of money. I just think like, okay, well, I think that's, you know, we can break even with a bit of profit and we should back this. Well, listen, I, th- I thought Bulb was fantastic. So I wish you all the best and, you know, getting some more like that off the ground. Absolutely. Well, hopefully we'll be talking again next year for the thing we're doing works out. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I just hope we can get it made. Again, it's not a massive budget, but it's, uh, yeah, and that's what I'm going to be aiming for. So uh, if anyone listening to this wants to uh, invest, I guess, in Paul's next project, yeah, yeah. get in touch. You're on Twitter. Yeah, please do. We love money. <laughs> we love money, dude. Listen, I would, be, I would be genuinely delighted if someone listening to this had a spare couple of hundred grand and got in touch and, and made it all happen. Yeah. That, would be, that would be wild. You'd, you'd get a credit. I get the credit, yeah, but it would be like you know whenever Blind Date used to have like a wedding, and yeah, you know, and yeah. Scylla would turn up at the, at the wedding. So you know, I, I feel a little bit like Scylla in this in this scenario. 
Yeah. Well, no, listen, dude. Um, that couple's that couple's still together. I read about that. <laughs> yeah, it was just yeah. in the paper. Weirdly, it was MSD. Yeah. So you didn't read it as well. Yeah. They were they're still together, and it's just the power of love. The power as, of love, uh, as Jennifer said. <laughs> And on that note, on that note, uh, I'm going to go. But Paul, it's been a pleasure as always. Thanks, man. Thank you very much indeed, sir. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, so that was Paul Andrew Williams. And as I say, Bull is available for you to see right now in cinemas. It is well worth, well worth a look. Now it's time to talk about this week's movie news. Sophie, you have brought something to my attention that I was unaware of. Please, this sounds incredible. Tell me about it. So apparently Jake Gyllenhaal and director Doug Liman may potentially team up for a remake of Roadhouse. And to be clear, we're talking about the Patrick Swayze throat-rip Roadhouse. Yes. Um, the 57th greatest movie ever made. I mean, uh, easily. Easily, yeah. Directed by Rowdy Harrington. Rowdy Harrington. That is an excellent name. That's a great, great name. As somebody who's not seen Roadhouse. Mm. I haven't either. Oh, my. F- fill us in. Oh, I feel like goodness. this hasn't sort of translated down to... Patrick Dempsey. Uh, Patrick Dempsey? Patrick Dempsey is not in the film. Patrick Dempsey is not in the film. Okay. Well, that's, that's the first thing you need to know. Okay. Who else isn't in the film? All right. Any other Patrick's? M. Night Shyamalan is not in the film. Okay, let's let's skip ahead. Gene ha- Oh, skip yeah, to the this end. could take a while. This could take a while. <laughs> Patrick Swayze is in the film. Ooh. You would be delighted to know. Mm. He plays um, he plays Brad Throatripper. <laughs> no, he plays Dalton. Dalton. He plays Dalton, who is I kind of believed you. <laughs> yeah. He's basically... <laughs> I love this movie. <laughs> he's the best bouncer in the business. Oh, he's the best yeah. there is at what he does, and what he does is bounce. Not like <laughs> He's not like an inflatable. He's not like an inflatable Swayze who's bouncing around. It's not like a space hopper. It's not space hopper no. the movie. I want to make that... I, I'm getting a better picture of what this film isn't. Yeah, no, yeah than what it is. So, what like, it is. I know that, you know, they talk about bounce on Strictly Come Dancing and you might be thinking, well, Patrick Swayze is a dancer. It's not that kind of bouncing either. We're talking no. about the kind where you keep rowdy people out of your Rowdy bar. Harrington, but he can't because hey, he's the director. He's the director. But Sam Elliott is a bar owner with... I mean, amazing. I cannot amazing stress enough hair. how good Sam Elliott looks in this movie. Patrick Dempsey, who is not in this film, <laughs> has good hair. Okay? Yeah. okay. Patrick Swayze, who is in this film, yeah. has, has a mullet. great hair. He has a mullet. It's not a mullet. It's a mullet. It's not a mullet. It's pretty much It's a long mullet. hair. It's okay. not a mullet. It's not a mullet. Okay. But Sam Elliott, and this is the important takeaway, has great hair and also a bar. And he brings in Patrick Swayze's Dalton to <laughs> bounce at the bar. But Patrick Swayze has like a history of violence. <laughs> the bounce at the bar. To be a bouncer. And he has, he has, you know, renounced his history of violence and is trying to, you know, live a more zen-like life. Um, and romance a lady. Mm-hmm. but Played by Kelly Lynch. Lin- Kelly Lynch, now, yes. Here's an amazing story about Kelly Lynch uh, in Roadhouse. So her character, the sexy psychotherapist lady, she's a sexy psychotherapist. Right, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's her character name. Uh, she and Dalton get it on. And there's no sexual disappointment with Dalton, right? <laughs> okay. This is a man who can go for the whole three minutes. <laughs> okay. So, uh, and in more than one position. So he's, wow. he's got it all going on all going to his hair is flowing the wind is blowing it's so good so they have sex on a roof now Kelly Lynch is married to Mitch Glazer Mitch Glazer is the writer of Scrooged and has known Bill Murray for years so Bill Murray anytime he it happens to be catching Roadhouse on TV and the sex scene comes up 
will call Mitch Glazer and say, I'm watching your wife boning Patrick Swayze right now. How do you feel about that? That is a true story, folks. <laughs> that sounds extremely Bill Murray of him. Yes. That is maximum Bill Murray. It feels to me like he would... Because how do you just happen upon Roadhouse? It feels to me like he's got like a, a complicated and sophisticated system of finding when Roadhouse is going to be on TV. Just so he what, can... like a TV guide? <laughs> That's it. Like a guide to TV. If only there was some sort of database of, of movies and TV on the, on the internet. Uh, yes, exactly like that. And then he rings up Mitch Glazer and, um, and kind of taunts him. Or he wow. just has a DVD that he whacks in every now and then when he feels like winding him up. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Uh, which he should give to you guys because you haven't seen Roadhouse. So anyway, Roadhouse. 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 Yes. So so he comes back to be a bouncer at this honky tonk owned by Sam Elliott and his great hair. Can I no, just no, ask, Sam, Sam Elliott doesn't own the the, the honky tonk. Sam is Elliott. He just the no, Sam, no, he's not even there. Sam Elliott is, I think, Wade. <gasps> That's Wade right. Sam Elliott is brought in. Brought in because yeah. Dalton. There's a threat that even Dalton can't handle on his own, okay. which is Ben Gazzara, who is the local kind of bigwig and that's another occupation local bigwigs they don't come out well for movies uh, alright or, pe- or property developers no bad bad Ben Gazzara is put in the squeeze on the double deuce right which is the place the where roadhouse. the roadhouse it's the roadhouse it's the roadhouse where Dalton works okay he bounces okay. boing ba-doing ba-doing <laughs> at the double deuce so Ben Gazzara he's like he's angry because he's in a piece of shit movie and he used to work with John Cassavetes so he's furious about that so he's taking it out on Patrick Swayze who is in the movie and Patrick Dempsey who is not in the movie he's furious about that as well so he is putting the squeeze in double juice even Dalton can't handle this it's too much action for Dalton to handle so he calls in his mate Kevin Mustache played by the one the only Sam Elliott that was going to be my question. Does he yes. have the moustache? He, he actually, is the moustache. He's yes. actually Wade Garrett. Wade Garrett. Wade Great Garrett. Name. I mean, if this script took longer than an afternoon to write, <laughs> I would be amazed. <laughs> Nevertheless, it is one of the greatest works of art of the 20th century. Oh, boy. I'm getting that feeling. I would like to distance myself from that claim. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, not to spoil things, but there's a baddie in the movie who goes around, you know, he's, he's evil. And Dalton's got a tortured past. So he has a special throat ripping move, which got him into trouble in the past because, you know, he ripped out people's throats. Is it like so, the, the Predator spine rip, but just from a front angle yeah. instead of from the yeah. back? Okay, so we now have wow. Patrick Swayze's hair. No, uh, I, this is actually Sam Elliott's oh, hair. Oh I mean, my. Look at that. No, he's not, he doesn't even have the tash, does he? No, it's more no, like it's more a, a beard. stubbly it's beard. More, yeah. Mm. Uh, Swayze in this, that's not a mullet. That's just long hair. I mean, I, that's but, but it's hair. short at the front and long at the back. It's, I don't know what you think a mullet is if that's not it's a mullet. It's styled at the front. A mullet also is the one that goes straight down at the back. Mm. That's what a mullet Look, is. I mean, and this is this is flowing. That's not a mullet. That's oh, a mullet. that is a mullet. That's, that's a, not a mullet. That is a mullet. That is the mullet, mullet is short in the, short in the front. Say that's a mild mullet. It's not a mild mullet. <laughs> not extreme mullet. The only mullet I recognise on Patrick Swayze's head is a fish and that's not a fish. It doesn't make any sense. That um, is a mullet. Anyway, on top, party at the back. so Jake Gyllenhaal, presumably, so Jake Gyllenhaal, we think would be what are we talking Dalton? about? Seems like a throat ripper. <laughs> wow. Come out swinging for Jake Gyllenhaal there. <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. I'm just I feel like he's got this manic energy in his last few films. Like. So, so Sophie's coming in hot in this one. <laughs> I, I'm just fascinated because, like, 
Jake Gyllenhaal is in such a weirdo <laughs> stage of yeah, his Yeah, that's career, what I mean. Where he that's enjoys like, weirdos. And this is relatively like sensible. So I'm I'm just really amazed that he would want to do it and that he will and what he's gonna do with it. But we haven't even mentioned the best part. Okay. And this might be why Jake Gyllenhaal, who is making all kinds of movies right now. Hmm. Movies where he has a bit of fun, movies where he's very intense, like The Guilty and Michael Bay's Ambulance, which is coming up. Dalton has a line in Roadhouse, which has become famous. It has become the name of a book by an author whose name I can't remember, and I'm so, so sorry. And I really want to read this book because uh, he has written a book about Roadhouse where he watched Roadhouse every single day. And he finds something new in Roadhouse for each and every occasion on which he watched it. This book is entitled Pain Don't Hurt, which is a line that Dalton has in the movie. I said a lot, and it's true. It is not, it is, and I really want to make this clear. It is not true, but it's the kind. It is a classic action dude line, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. The swizzle was at the height of his powers in this movie. He is lithe. He is raw. He bounces. He does everything. He kicks. He leaps. He's got that sort of dirty dancing thing going on. Swagger. Yeah. He's got the Swayze swagger. He had, bears no resemblance to Patrick Dempsey whatsoever. It's quite <laughs> incredible. I now really, really want to watch Roadhouse, but yet weirdly now feel like I already have. No, you haven't. Oh, you're you're <laughs> not even close. You haven't even encountered Rowdy Harrington's mise-en-scene. And <laughs> until you have, you haven't lived. No, that's true. So promise me both, the youngsters in this room, the whippersnappers in this room, who probably weren't even fucking born when Roadhouse was made, 1989, yes, am I right? Yep. Fuck me. 1992. Oh, no. God! Why are How? they here? How? Why do we allow these What? No. 91. <laughs> Get out of town. <laughs> One of us. One of Helen us. almost went full Dalton there. Get out of town. Get out of my pod booth. <laughs> Don't rip my throat pod. out, please. <laughs> she nearly bounced you straight out of the double deuce. <laughs> Make me a promise. Make me a promise this weekend. If you can, because I'm not sure how widely available Roadhouse is, but if you can see Roadhouse this weekend, see Roadhouse this weekend, okay? And if you can call Mitch Glazer during the sex scene <laughs> and taunt him about his wife having sex with Patrick Swayze. Do that as well. I feel like, you know, Bill Murray gets some passes that maybe other people do not. I'm just suggesting it there. So How did you get this number? <laughs> I think we do have Mitch Glazer's number. I can hook you up with Mitch Glazer. We are absolutely... <laughs> that's not going to happen. I think we should take part in some sort of experiment Make and just see. I, I, I'm pretty sure I can get you Mitch Glazer's number. Let's make it happen. But anyway, promise me you'll see Roadhouse. Yes? Pinky promise? Yes. Right here in the podcast? Oh, come yeah, on, let's make it happen. A, a, a bond yeah. has been made. Woohoo! Uh, it is part of a free trial with MGM streaming on Amazon Prime. Mm. Free trial. Mm. Sign up, right. download loads of shit, and then you're good. It's a seven-day free trial. What seven if I days. watch Roadhouse seven days in a row and there write you go. my own yeah. book? Yeah. Uh, more of a more of a pamphlet, <laughs> <Okay>. probably. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe I'll be very inspired by Roadhouse and have a full book worth of material. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, that is. I mean, look, that's that's exciting. I don't know if anything can top that. But I think we're done. Should we just move done. on to the next there, guest? There, there is that some other news. Of though, that we should. <laughs> okay. So anyway, um, speaking of legendary hard men. Okay, I want um, to see where this is going. <laughs> Vin Diesel oh. has reached across the barricades. The most passive-aggressive Instagram post I have <laughs> ever seen. It's beautiful. <laughs> to his little brother, <laughs> Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Oh, that's so passive-aggressive. 
<laughs> extending an olive branch and asking him to return for Fast and Furious 10 because only he can play Hobbs, which is true. But also... That's it's, not true. You it's, can recast. No, they could never recast. You can recast. How dare you? Yeah, it's it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Look, I assume this is to some extent coordinated and orchestrated and, you know, other overtures have been made bef- behind the scenes before this, right? I mean, that's how things work. Usually. Maybe, and we, you know, but this, this is the thing. We all fall into this trap of assuming that this is part of some grand piece of, of performance art, mm. grand piece of, of theatre, and it's all, all roads are leading to Hobbs inevitably showing up in Fast 10, whenever that movie, I guess, 2023. But what if it isn't? What if all private avenues of negotiation and conversation have, have hit a wall? And what if this is Finn's genuine Hail Mary pass? What if his is, this is his last thing? So he thinks, okay, I'm going to do it publicly. I'm going to do it in a way that makes it look like I'm kind of, you know, Sticking out the the uh, what is it what do they call it an the olive, olive branch? branch yeah what if he what if he extends the the the, the dove there's a dove in his hands as well and mm-hmm. the the hand of friendship the hand of peace but he does it in a way that kind of also undermines the rock as well my little brother yeah. and all things like that it feels like less of a hail mary than like Mary hail me <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the the fact the the final three words of this Instagram post are oh, fuck you for your destiny <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh, right, yeah. but it has the same initials as fuck you Dwayne oh, oh, oh my god he's like the Zodiac killer he's <laughs> he's hiding clues in plain sight we have to read this like a, a Taylor Swift stan reading anything that Taylor Swift posts where it's, everything in the background has to have a meaning please Ben read, read out the whole thing this is this is Finn Diesel's message on Instagram to Dwayne the John Roxon you have to do it okay. in Finn Diesel's voice oh, please oh, hello oh, tell him about the honey mummy the movies okay. <laughs> <laughs> My little brother Dwayne. No, 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 you know, you're not sexy potato in it enough. These, these, these men are two sexy, <laughs> sexy potatoes. You need to get into the mindset get of a out. sexy, a sexy spud. I, the thing is, you have to like have to read it, but then also have it be semi unintelligible. Which, uh, unless Just say you the word watch family a few times until you get oh, the right space. It's probably it's probably in here a lot of times. <laughs> My little brother Dwayne, the time has come. The world awaits the finale of Fast 10. As you know, my children refer to you as Uncle Dwayne in my house. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> there Sorry, is I, forgot, I forgot I told you I'd be providing commentary. <laughs> okay, good to know. Oh, I'm out of the voice now. I'm going to get... There is not a holiday that goes by that they and you don't send me well wishes. I no, feel no, like I'm send out of well it wishes. Send well wishes. Don't send well wishes. Labor Day. <laughs> But the time has come. Legacy awaits. I told you years ago that it was going to fulfill my promise to Pablo. They're, they're bringing Paul Walker into this. Oh, that feels like a okay. slightly desperate well, maybe, Paul. Maybe that he means did, it's real. I mean, maybe yeah, that he means did it's just real. walk Paul's daughter down the aisle. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there was a genuine okay. feeling there. I swore that we would reach and manifest the best fast in the finale that is 10. You know he looked that up. <laughs> <laughs> he did not. <laughs> Search Finn Diesel's Google history manifest is in there. I guarantee. <laughs> the movies. <laughs> I say this out of love, but you must show up. Do not leave the franchise idle. You have a very important role to play. Hobbs can't be played by no other. Double double negative. Yeah, Which means proof. he can be yeah. played by one other. Mm, true. There is another. There is a threat. There is a threat lurking within those words. I hope that you rise to the occasion. 
and fulfill your destiny. I have, so many, I have so, <laughs> so many questions. I have so many questions. Well done, like, do movies. <laughs> so, like, when uh, Dwayne the John Roxon sends his <laughs> holiday card, his Christmas card, to the v- Diesel household, is it simply a picture of a candy ass? Like, what does he... <laughs> Instead of a candy cane. Instead of a candy cane, it's sort Take of like... Take a bite out of this candy ass. No, it's like, it's like t- it would be like two mint humbugs next to each other to give the impression of an ass, perhaps. I don't know. I'm okay. thought about, about this. this a lot. <laughs> it, this is off the top of my head. I'm speculating here, but like, I want to know what that Christmas card looks like. This follows, of course, The Rock giving that interview um, for, wasn't it Vanity Fair, his big cover story, yes. where he d- addressed the Fellini comments that Vin Diesel had made. So like... You know, he's a wrestler. Vin Diesel is at least a fan of wrestling. They know the beats of these stories, right? So this is this is the latest beat in the story. So, okay, where do we think this ends? Sophie, where do you think this ends? Do you think this ends with John, The Rock, Dwayneson and turning up in Fast 10? I think so. I haven't watched a lot of the Fast and Furious <gasps> franchise. Get out! Oh. It's marathon time, baby. I'm not disappointed in you. I can't watch that you. and Red House seven times oh in a weekend. <laughs> I'm oh not Red House, Road House. I'm not disappointed. I'm just mad. <laughs> what, 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 have you, what have you seen? I think I've seen the first one, and I think I've seen the fifth one, but a very long time ago. You think you've seen Fast Five? No Believe one me. thinks they've seen Fast Five. If you've five. seen Fast Five, you would know you've seen Fast yeah. Five. You see Fast Five, and Fast Five sees, sees you. you back. <laughs> Looks into your soul. I know. So I'm not the best person to ask on this. But I think he probably will come back. All right. Okay. So this weekend, can you promise me if you watch (laughs) Roadhouse, you will also watch all 10 (laughs) Fast and Furious movies, including, of course, Fast and Furious Presents Presents. Hobbs and Shaw. Wait. I have seen Hobbs and Shaw. All right. Okay. With us three. Here we go. As Meatloaf once said, three out of 10 ain't bad. (laughs) I'm doing good. My aggregate is going up. Like, I, I know you love Titan, you're a Julia de Cournau stan, there's loads of cars in that, there's loads of cars in these movies too. It's a blind spot, I need to fix it. I mean, you just need to watch Fast Five. <laughs> you can skip the rest. No, Maybe no, seven. Seven. Seven, seven. seven is the best seven. one. Seven, it's not the best one. It's the best one. It's not one. the best one. You, you can't have better than perfection. You can, it's, it's, it's Wild you, Speed you watch, Mega Max You should for watch a Five reason. and Seven there. Okay, both. watch Five, Six and Seven. And then stop. Okay, throw eight in as well, because then otherwise you'll be a bit lost by the state. And and, and then Hobbs Charlize and Shaw. and stuff, yeah. Yeah, so, just, yeah. so watch five, six, seven, eight. Oh, I probably need to watch four as well, and just, just give a backstory. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, whenever Gal Gadot five, turns yeah. up and, yeah. And okay, actually, watch four. You, you're not going to know who Han is if you haven't watched Tokyo Drift. That's so. a good point. You need to watch, okay, so, so watch Tokyo Drift, but, uh, but uh, after Fast Six, obviously. So watch five, four, five, six, mm-hmm. then three, then seven, then eight. And then and watch Hobbs and, Hobbs and Shaw again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just mm-hmm. to make sure. Yeah. Uh, no, you probably need to watch two as well. Well, because you, you, you yeah. don't know who Roman is. You don't know who Roman you is. All right, so you need is. to watch. You need to watch one. Two, just watch them all. Just watch them. All. Okay. Well, done. I think we've been really reasonable. We've really cut yes. that down for yeah. her. Yeah. Okay. And uh, after Some each homework. one, watch Roadhouse. In between. Yeah. Each in between, one. as a yeah. as a chaser. Mm-hmm. As a, and yeah. after every car chase, you have to call Mitch Glazer. I'll get you his number. I call Vin Diesel as I'm watching the Fast and Furious yeah. ones. Yes. <laughs> Just passive aggressively Instagram at him. Yeah. Or at The Rock saying, I'm watching this for the first time. How dare you not appear in Oh my Fast God. 10. That'd be amazing. Like if you passively aggressively uh, t- tweeted. Hello, my little brother Insta- Dwayne. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my little brother Finn. I've just seen Fast, uh, Too Fast, Too Furious. In my opinion, it's the best one. That'll really get under his skin. <laughs> He'll be like, what? Well, no, you can't say that. Oh, no. Tell him about the honey, mummy. He'd be absolutely furious. Uh, yeah, but you guys think he'll be in it? Yes. The, the son, John Dwenson? I, I, I just don't think that that gets published po- um, publicly 
without published publicly. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, publicly I don't published. think that gets posted publicly without there having been behind the scenes discussions to set it up. Okay. I think we get Hobbs and Shaw 2 first, but then that spins them back in what? to Fast 10. See, I think we get Hobbs and Shaw with an extra edition of Han. Luke Evans has to come back into Hobbs, this. Hobbs, Hobbs, Han and Shaw. <laughs> Hobbs, 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 Hobbs Han, Shaw, Shaw and Shaw. Yeah. <laughs> Attorneys at law. <laughs> too, too sure. Too sure. Um, too Hobbesian. Hobbs. Look, we'll work there shop. No Why are you looking at me? <laughs> there are no bad ideas in brainstorming. Apart from these. <laughs> the uni mind is not working this week. <laughs> that is for sure. Uh, all right. Okay. Hey, there's some wicked news. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Cynthia Riva will star in Wicked as Alphaba. And Ariana Grande is going to be starring opposite her as Glinda. I think that's pretty fantastic casting. I am not sure you can do much better than that. But just to make sure, there is currently an online petition to <laughs> to beg, really, the studio involved not to cast James Corden in any supporting role. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I, I don't think they have any choice in that. I think he he's he's just it's a package deal now. I, like, here's just a suggestion. I'm just spitballing here. How about not having him in it? Okay. <laughs> um, going, I don't think that matters. I think he just turns up, right? Yeah, no, but like, does. I know he does. I mean, look, but we there is a musical this week where he isn't, as far as I know, in it. So, like, I've watched it and I didn't yeah. see him. He could be under a table, but I didn't he see him. And there were scenes with like lots of musicals lots of musical people, people and he could have just been snuck into the background, yeah, but I also didn't I see don't, him. I don't think he was there. So maybe maybe there's hope. Maybe there is a way. Maybe somebody can ask Lin-Manuel Miranda, how did you do that in Tick, Tick, Boom? How did you make a modern musical film without adding James Corden? Did you, Ben? Did I ask him about that? I, well, I hadn't seen Tick, Tick, Boom at the time, oh. so I didn't ask him about that. But I've now, I need to go and rewatch because there is a moment where uh, the, the lead character in that, mm-hmm. Jonathan Larson, is walking past a queue of people auditioning for Cats. Oh no, he could be in the queue. So what if he's in the queue what for Cats? Queue? We need a cordon this off, I think. We need a, you know, and then yeah. so maybe we have a, really... we have, a, have a cordon cordon, is basically what I'm saying. And then he doesn't get by that and then doesn't yeah. get into Wicked. Anyway, but he so, might defy gravity to do so, and that's oh the only no. thing I know about it. <laughs> that wouldn't be popular. Oh, that it was going to be my be one popular. thing. <laughs> is, is that is that from that's Wicked? also a song? Oh, that's good. Yeah. good. It's a, it's 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 got some bangers. Well, it's got those two, and actually, it also has a song called "For Good," which I can't sing because it makes me cry too much every time I listen to it. But anyway, John M. Chu is directing. He knows what he's doing with musicals. Yes. This has been in development for pretty much as long as I've been at Empire. I remember writing stories about this a very long time ago on the website, so I'm just excited to see it potentially moving forward. And, you know, I think uh, Erivo in particular can do anything. So, hooray! Mm. What else is happening, guys? Rogue Squadron, Patty Jenkins' Star Wars <gasps> yeah. movie has has moved back. I think she's got a very busy time ahead. Obviously, they put out, around this time last year, they announced that film and had that lovely little trailer where she was kind of walking towards an X-Wing on a, like, runway strip. Um... And it seemed like that was kind of all ready to go, but then it feels like they haven't started with that yet. And she's also got Wonder Woman 3 coming up. Mm -hmm. I think Gal Gadot was talking about that this week as well, in terms of the script coming together for that. So she's kind of wrangling two massive blockbuster movies. And a Cleopatra movie, potentially, as well. Yes. Which historically is not small, um, as undertakings go. 
it's it's sad because that's our next sort of Star Wars cinematic hit unless they swoop something into that 2023 release date because they stake out all these dates far in advance. Mm. It means it's going to be another sort of couple of years until we have any Star Wars on the big screen. And I'm very excited about all the small screen stuff. But like a big Christmas Star Wars, mm. having had a few years of that, mm was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I've I'm now in the run-up to Christmas every year, even though we've got Book of Boba Fett this year, and I just miss having like a big Christmas Star Wars to look forward to as a cinema trip. No, what would be cool if season three of The Mandalorian was actually a stealth Mandalorian film. Ooh. And they wrapped up the story on the big screen. Next Christmas, Mando is coming at you. Like Cleopatra. <laughs> Baby Yoda <laughs> in. <laughs> whatever they want to call the man baby yoda yeah. presents call on yes it surely would be presents baby yoda yes mm. well did you see pedro pascal on instagram said to my little brother grogu <laughs> <laughs> fulfill your destiny <laughs> destiny fulfill you will <laughs> that would be amazing yes okay we have just started a rumor on the Empire <laughs> the mandalorian movie is a go confirmed confirmed <laughs> Speaking of not really confirmed, um, but also like seasonal viewing, Marvel is apparently doing a Halloween special and rumour has it that Gael Garcia Bernal (laughs) is going to be starring in it. They're a bit late. It was like two weeks ago. Okay, but maybe there will be other Halloweens in the future. Oh, that's cool. Mm. Mm, That's good. I liked this year's. Optimism. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We might get to another Halloween. Let's (laughs) hope, guys. Um, Yeah, so it's not clear who he's playing yet, but the rumour has it that he may be werewolf by night. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Adele. But um, yeah, so um, it's a, it's a, he's a werewolf, potentially. He's all right now. <laughs> That's good. It's good to know, isn't it? Yeah. Well done, him. Traditionally, if you have vampires in a you know fictional universe, you ultimately must also have werewolves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it mm-hmm. usually mm-hmm. comes in season three of a TV show. <laughs> I don't true. know why, but it does. End mm-hmm. of season two, beginning of season three tends to be mm-hmm. it. Uh, yeah. And do we have vampires in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Maybe we'll discuss that down the line. But we know Mahershala Ali has been cast as, as we do. Blade. Blazer. Blazer. Are we ever not going to do that? No, I don't okay. think we're... Right. Yeah, it's going to make the forthcoming Blade spoiler special really long. <laughs> Come on, it's Ross and Marshall Thurber week. You know, we've got to get the... Uh, it is. It's it. been decreed. Yes. <laughs> it's Ross and Marshall Thurber week. Everyone's talking about it. <laughs> Almost as good a director name as Rowdy, Rowdy what, whatever his name. Yeah. Rowdy Harrington. And last but not least this week, very, very sad news. We lost an acting great in the shape of Dean Stockwell, who passed away this week at the age of 85. Uh, we were talking about him recently, weren't we, Helen, on our June spoiler special? Yeah, we were. Um, because he's, well, he's in that, of course, but he's been in so many great things over the years. I mean... I will eternally love him for Quantum Leap alone. That that puts him in my personal pantheon of good people. But uh, I kind of feel like he was in everybody's personal pantheon of good people because he did something that absolutely everybody liked in in a career that you know started when he was what seven years old or something, and he was pretty much mm-hmm. in film as a preteen and you know went through a leading man phase. But I think did most of his best work as a character actor a little bit later on when he came. Mm-hmm kind of back to Hollywood in the 70s, 80s and 90s. So obviously, Dune, Blue Velvet, Married to the Mob, gets a lot of love. Mm-hmm. He's amazing in the Battlestar, remake, uh, Battlestar Galactica remake, the, the early 2000s one. He's 
absolutely chilling in that. He's so, so good. But yeah, for Quantum Leap alone, I'll, I'll love him. Yeah, the player he was great in, but yeah, yeah for me it's yeah. it's it's Blue Velvet, Blue and and, mm-hmm. and Quantum Leap, obviously, yeah, but obviously. yeah, Blue Velvet, uh, in which he doesn't he doesn't appear a lot in Blue Velvet, but he is uh, he plays a character called Ben, who is uh, an associate of Dennis Hopper's Frank Booth, and Frank Booth is one of the most terrifying movie villains in history, mm. and Ben is someone who's actually weirder than. Frank Booth and he he owns this scene in Blue Velvet where he mimes to Roy Orbison's in dreams and it's chilling and unsettling and off-putting and he mimes into this table lamp which apparently was Dean Stockwell's idea. Uh, so if you've never seen Blue Velvet, check out Blue Velvet. Uh, he was he was wonderful at playing oddballs. Al, for example, in Quantum Leap was a was a bit of an oddball. Mm. He you know he just felt he felt really utterly real and lived in and like you felt like he knew an Al. Uh, but he was also just weird and he was one of the great weirdos. <laughs> Dean Stockwell. Dean Stockwell. He passed away this week at the age of 85. One quick shameless plug before we move on, folks. Uh, we are doing a live show next week on Friday. Friday the 19th. 19th. Thanks, Sophie. Uh, 19th of November at Finsbury Park Picture House, which is a brand new picture house that's opened in, you'll never guess where, Finsbury Park in London. And this is going to be our very first live episode of The Ranking, the very occasional Empire podcast (laughs) show (laughs) in which uh, a bunch of Empire writers get together and argue over the filmography of an actor or a director or a writer or a franchise or something. In this case, we are going to be evaluating the career of one Thomas Cruise, Mae Pother IV, a.k.a. Tom Cruise, a.k.a. the biggest movie star of all time. And we're going to be having an absolute blast. So if you want to come along and join us, tickets are about £12. It'll be a really, really fun way to spend Friday night uh, and come along and see us argue the toss about the cruiser. Hurrah. Good fun. Good fun. Go to picturehouses.com for more details on how to do that. Time now for our second guest this week, or second guests, should I say, because it's a double whammy. It's a double header. It is Rob Delaney and Ellie Kemper, the stars of Home Sweet Home Alone, which is the new Home Alone movie, which is exclusively on Disney Plus as of this week. They are a an ordinary couple who find themselves forced through circumstances beyond their control to break into a house and terrorize a young boy. Feels weird when I say it like that, <laughs> but trust me, when you see the film, you'll understand. Uh, they're a lot of fun together. So I hope they're a lot of fun together in the flesh as well, or in the Sumi flesh. I'll be talking to them very, very soon. Here it is, unless, of course, it goes disastrously wrong. Enjoy. <laughs> hey, Rob. Hey, Ellie. How's it going? Hi, Chris. How are you? I will apologize in advance because um, when I was leaving the tube station to rush back to my house to do this interview, something flew into my throat as I was leaving. And so, no word of a lie, I don't know what it was, but um, if I have to mute myself and cough finally off camera, I'm just letting you know what's happening. Of course. I'm sorry that happened. I, I feel like that is the sort of thing that would happen to me. Do you know it was like a piece of I think it was a, bug, a, a fly or something. something yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, yeah. Oh boy. I, I'm going to get the boys in the lab to examine it later on. But <laughs> yeah, but at the moment, I don't know. And I, you know what? I don't want to know. You're not sure. It's better not knowing. Just let it work its way down. Yeah. <laughs> I will give you guys a big introduction and then away we will go. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor podcast by the stars of Home Sweet Home Alone, Rob Delaney and Ellie Kemper. How are you both? 
Great, how all are right. you? All right, good to see you. Likewise, likewise. Uh, I'm okay. I'm all right. Not too bad. <laughs> we shall see how I go because I've got something in my throat. Um, but uh, <laughs> did I nail the pronunciation of the title? Um, was I hitting the right word? I said home sweet home alone. I also have been asking myself that question. Home sweet home alone. Home sweet home alone. How mm. have you been doing it? Home sweet home alone. Each, okay. Each word gets equal weight, it seems. Look at that. What a robot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess so. Home sweet home alone. <laughs> home sweet home alone. Yeah. No, home sweet home alone. No one's going to emphasize the second home or indeed alone for that matter, I guess. Home sweet home alone. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> Forget it. Call it off. Terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> the Home Alone terrifying. film. <laughs> the terrifying Home Alone film. Um, <laughs> which is actually true in a way because it's a horror film for you guys in many, many ways from, from yeah. Jeff and Pam's POV. And it was one of the yeah. things I found really interesting about the movie is that, you know, in the first two films, Harry and Marv, they're not nice people. They're despicable. Uh-huh. They deserve yeah. what's coming to them. You guys in the movie are adorable and lovely and doing everything from a pure place of motivation. And yes. then you get shit in the face and you know hit with all yeah. sorts of kind of all kinds yeah. of stuff. That's not thank right. You, thank you for recognizing that because um even I have to be honest, while we were shooting it, it didn't totally land with me that we did have this noble purpose. Uh, that 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 we were, I guess, as sympathetic as maybe we actually are, because um, we are um, trying to break into this kid's house, but for a good reason, which is to um, save our home so that our children can be happy. So it's not like we're just pure villains or maybe even remotely. Yeah. No, remote. there's no malevolence. Uh, mm-hmm. We're just good people under stress uh, that I think people can relate to. And yeah. so they uh, <laughs> they uh, take measures into their own hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they but they don't. They don't cross a line. They're not killing people. I mean, no, it might I mean, be. You know, legally they cross a line sure. in the sense that, you know, with American property laws, as I understand them, yeah. you shouldn't go into somebody's house when you're not invited. Yeah, you understand um, them correctly. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's just a piece of paper with some words written on it's it. It's true. It's true. Yeah. There weren't even real people there, just a kid. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. It's Christmas. It's a time of giving and sharing, right? So if yes. you want to go into someone's yeah. house and help yourself to what they have, then that's totally fine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not. So maybe we not. three are on the same page. Yeah, absolutely. Rob seems a little bit unsure about this. He, you know, he's not sure whether this could be an accessory to a felony after the fact. <laughs> I mean, we're just at the planning stages right now. Yeah. You know, at, at this point, if we were get, to get arrested, I think we could say it was entrapment. And uh, <laughs> you're really the, the uh, criminal mastermind here. Mm-hmm. And we're just trying to be polite. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, we are just three people having a chat. That's all, that's all we are doing. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so I want to talk about the, because obviously there's an element of this, a slapstick element where you go yes. through, yeah, yeah. you go through hell in this house uh, with, mm-hmm. with young Max. There's, there's stunts in this where it looks like it was actually you guys. Was it? A lot of times it was. Now, I am, will speak for myself. I'm not good at using my body elegantly or towards a purpose that anybody would really enjoy watching. So, <laughs> uh, we, but they did want us to try all the stunts. So in case on the off chance we did do a good enough job, they could keep it in the film. So we did truly have to do most of the stunts. Yes, professional, amazing stunt people came in and did them as well. 
And so they edit that together. Mm -hmm. um, so certainly some of the crazier stuff, you're absolutely watching Ryan and Atlin mm -hmm. <laughs> rather than Our stunt um, double Rob and Ellie. Okay. But they really did put us through the paces and they, we had a lot of training. Uh, we were frequently wearing harnesses and pads. And uh, unless it was the kind of thing that if done incorrectly, you would die, they really made us do it. <laughs> When you say that, because there's there's a stunt towards the end. I don't want to give anything away, obviously, in mm -hmm. terms of what you're being hit with or bombarded mm -hmm. with. But there's yeah. a stunt towards the end where, Ellie, your character takes a, a face plant from a, a fair old height, and it looks mm. like you in one shot. Was it? No, I don't think so. I think that was Atlin, who's our, our, my stunt double performer, is just fantastic. Um, and, you know, I think I could tell because I looked really closely and I know what I look like and it's not that. But <laughs> for the most part, I do. I think the actual landing was always us because you yeah. can't hide that. But yeah. um, there, uh, which actually that I take, I did hurt my head a couple times doing that. Do you do this? You 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 start to think that you are invincible and as strong as a and skilled as a professional stunt performer. So you take the blow thinking that you know you can handle it, and then only an hour or later or the next morning are you realizing? Yeah, like, oh, why does my no. neck work? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Typically, my neck can turn can to the turn, left seven doesn't. degrees, and yeah. now it can't. Um, uh, in the moment, you just give it your all. But, but when yeah. you talk about that face plant, uh, there's no special effects there. She just jumped from one level oh, of the I house know. to the other. <laughs> so, because I don't know, you wouldn't have had to have been right there watching it. But I'm sitting, she's like landing at my feet. Right, so right. So I properly watched her jump off a balcony and simply land on the ground. Which is insane. <laughs> again and again. Yep. I also, I keep pointing this out. Atlin, number four, I think she had mm -hmm. like a three-month-old baby at that point. Women can do everything. Wow. That's amazing. That is yeah. amazing. Men can do four Very things. Sweet. Four, four things. things. Okay. I'm not even sure I could do that. I could do half of that. What is yeah, that? Two? Two things. You can mm. sort of do a thing. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Ellie. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you've already seen me in, into my soul and you've identified who I am as a person. I mean, you literally walked into a fly. <laughs> For God's sake. So, yeah, you, you brought this on yourself. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. Maybe I maybe there was retribution. Maybe I killed the the fly's cousin earlier in the year, yeah, and right, it was right. There are no accidents. Yeah. <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. <laughs> oh my god! Well, I've got limited time clearly because a fly is working its way through me right now. Uh, <laughs> so, so this is this is uh, this is maybe my last interview. So let's go out on a high. Uh, with a couple, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with a with a couple more questions, I want to ask about the the idea of you know pride as comedic performers so there must be an element mm -hmm. of all right okay yeah this is a dangerous stunt but mm -hmm. at the same time i want to prove my physical comedy chops here i mean there's moments when you're sliding up and down that uh, that very very slippery driveway for example which is really really mm -hmm. funny that you must be going right okay stunt performers back off i'm doing mm -hmm. this <laughs> yeah. yeah i know what you mean we wanted it to look great. I mean, because I think Ellie and I both like to leave it all on the pitch. Uh, and he lives in pitch means field, Unfair. Ellie. Now um, I get it. And we, the most important thing to me is that it looks great. Not how I felt filming it or, you know, whether it was exhausting. It's did the person on their couch at home watching this go like, oh, God, yeah, yeah, and yeah. thank you know, actively thank the Lord that it wasn't them that it was happening to. That's all I care about. So we're really trying to make it look awful and painful. Frequently, it was so difficult and exhausting that, you know, our, our acting 
toolkit allowed it to look like pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, like, so many of, like, the hangdog, wasted, pummeled facial expressions we're wearing in the film were just genuinely how <laughs> like, we yeah, felt. How we arrived at work <laughs> that morning. And yeah. I think that you're right. I think there is a level of pride because when I read the script, I thought, oh, this is all so funny. And then later registering with me, oh, I presumably am going to have to execute those funny things, yeah. and it could be painful. I do think there you want to do it yourself because that's what you were hired to do. And mm-hmm. uh, physical comedy is something. Well, I had done some of, but not to this extent. And so I was excited to try it. And and yeah, I think we did want to do as much of it as we could, as much as insurance and safety would allow, because that's what we signed up to do. So we were happy to. And it's not like we're jumping out of planes. On this one, so maybe maybe <laughs> the next one, but you know, it all felt it manageable. Yeah, not on this one, but but the next one when the uh, next slay. one will take place in space. Home yeah. sweet oh home my. alone at thirty eight thousand feet. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, you're going to be cruise into space. Uh, this is yeah. this is amazing. Uh, by the way, Rob, obviously you've you've just been in mission seven. So yeah. is is that basically a spin-off of this? Are you going to be planting booby traps in Ethan Hunt's home? Well, yeah, I mean, I think you're going to realize I'm sort of a secret piece of the puzzle that when inserted into the Mission Impossible franchise, mm-hmm. you're going to realize, holy That's mackerel, right. these are basically Home Alone movies. I mean, they're <laughs> aspiring to be Home Alone movies. They're doing they're doing the best they can. Tom Cruise works very hard at what he does. Uh, you know, it's not quite Home Sweet Home Alone <laughs> level, but Obviously he'll not. get there. No, he's, yeah. he's I believe he's in doing, him. He's, he's got a work ethic. Study. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it was ridiculous doing that movie. Holy mackerel. <laughs> we should talk about that another time, I'm sure. But yeah. uh, I just wanted to ask about the the original movie and your connection to it, because we're all roughly the same age. We were all roughly the same age, I guess, when it came out. We were all kids when the first movie came out. So it must have been, well, maybe it wasn't. Maybe, maybe it completely passed you by, but was it a movie you both connected to? Yes, yes. As children and, and as adults, it's... It's a staple in my household. We watch it every year. I, 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 it's such a wonderful movie. I remember seeing it in the theater for the first time. Yeah, it's a, um, I think it's beautiful. I think it's so funny. And then it's also, I always, I still weep or my eyes tear up. I maybe don't outright weep. But when Catherine O'Hara comes back and apologizes to Kevin, I can't remember the mom's name. Mrs. McAllister comes back and it's so, it's, it's a, it's, it's a very tender moment. Yeah, Kafina, I think's her name. It's just it's just Kevin with an A on the end. As far as, as, far oh, yeah. as I can remember, <laughs> lovely Kevin. Nance. Yeah, he's yeah, Kevin, Kevin Jr. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly. And Rob, was it the same for you? Oh, without question. I mean, yeah, just th- I mean, come on, John Hughes script, Chris Columbus direction, John Williams score, every friggin' performer in I that. I mean, John Hurd as the dad. Get out of here. It just, yeah. That, I mean, everybody likes that movie. If not, something's really profoundly wrong with you and you should be hospitalized for several months. Oh, wow. Hospitalized. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's intense. That's intense. I but, you know, that's when, how good the film is. We drove okay. up, we saw it at the St. Louis Galleria, and my aunt Dot, who was in the car, we found a parking space on Thanksgiving or like the day after Thanksgiving. And she <laughs> claimed that it was God looking out for us. And we all looked at each other and we thought, we're not sure this is God who found mm-hmm. the parking space. But God had something else in mind because then we got to see a great. Yeah, film. God so wanted he, you he to see, that, see that, film. that film. So he found us a parking spot. And then years later, God Jr. wanted you to be in it. <laughs> <laughs> got got up, got it, <laughs> got it, and then got it sent a fly down my throat, uh, which yeah, means, yeah, yeah. which means this really might be my last. Yeah, this is gonna be my last question before I expire, so I'm gonna make it a good one. Um, which is uh, Home Alone Two, obviously lost mm-hmm. in New York. 
had a cameo from someone who went on to become a fairly prominent politician, I believe. I, I'm mm-hmm. not entirely sure. I don't read the news. But if anyone from this cast were to go on oh. 20 years from now to become President of the United States of America or the Prime Minister of Great Britain, I'll accept that. Mm-hmm. Who would it be? Who's your money on? <laughs> I have a guess. Oh. I was going to say Andy, Andy Daly. Daly. Were you going to say Andy yeah, Daly? Yeah, I was going to. We both think it's Andy Daly who apparently plays. <laughs> yeah, who, play, who, who plays Mrs. Mercer's husband. Mr. Mercer. Mr. Mercer. I guess. Yeah, he, <laughs> he seems to, right? He, he doesn't have a lot of screen time in this film, which is sad. But uh, which is, So yeah. you think, like, right. Ellie and I have the good fortune to make a living in this business, which is insane. But I think it's safe to say anybody working in comedy reveres Andy Daly. Yeah. So if he were the president and he told me, you know, I need you to go out into the British countryside and, you know, uh, napalm uh, <laughs> in a school. I would, I would, I would do it. I would do it for him. Yeah. <laughs> I think he has a great. I think he has a great um, uh, presence, and I think that he would. Um, I think he is a brilliant man who oh, would God, be able yeah. to run a, a very smart campaign. Yeah, yeah. I would trust him. Everybody in yeah. the movie is funny, but we would all sit at his feet and be like, "Entertain us, teach yeah. us how to be legitimately funny." He's a he's the a god level improviser. Yes. Oh God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so. you know, let's face it—you have to improvise as president. So you do. Good. I don't even. But I feel like we're now comparing him to Donald Trump, which I don't. I just think no, no, he no, would no. have the most. He would be most likely to be voted president of anyone in the cast. Yeah, and you'd be his chief of staff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'd be secretary of health and human services. <laughs> you usually are. <laughs> I don't even have a vote, but I'd vote for him. I'm not sure about the napalming, but you know, listen, we can talk about it. It's, it's well, a, if he it's, says to do it, it's a, probably a good idea. Just, just trust to, him. Yeah, just yeah, go with don't it. Ask him this is it. Now, now that's definitely a felony role. I think that now this is entrapment. This yep. is entrapment. And so in that case, I'm going to leave and not okay. get arrested. Uh, it's been a pleasure, guys. <laughs> Thanks very much. And uh, happy Christmas and happy Disney Plus Day. Thank, Thank you. Right. You too. Thank you. You too. Have Thanks lovely for Disney talking Plus with day. us. Hope your throat Cheers, feels better. Thank you very much, Lee. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. So that was Rob Delaney and Ellie Kemper. We'll be talking about Home Sweet Home Alone in a few minutes mm. because now it is time for the reviews section of the show what's available for you to watch this week in the multiplexes and of course your sofaplex when you're not watching Roadhouse and every single episode of the Fast and Furious movies uh, and speaking of Fast and Furious movies let's start with John the son Dwayne Rock who stars in Red Notice which we talked about a little bit last week but only Amon had seen it at that point mm. now Hell's Bells you have feasted your eyes upon the <laughs> the Johnson so to speak, uh, and the Ryan Reynolds and the Gal Gadot goodness, Mm. or is it goodness, in this Ross and Marshall Thurber week? Yeah, this I thought was a mess of a film. Okay. Um, (laughs) You know, this should be right on my alley. I like everybody involved. Mm -hmm. I I like a big stupid action movie that makes no sense. Yeah. Um, And yet I find this tedious and um, wearisome, frankly. Yes, so we're introduced to John Hartley, that's Dwayne... Johnson's character as a sort of FBI agent who's here to in Rome to try and catch one of the world's great thieves. He's working with Interpol to um, find Ryan Reynolds' Nolan Booth, very much an action movie name. A spectacular-ish uh, foot chase uh, ensues through a museum, and but wouldn't you know it, uh, someone still gets away with one of Cleopatra's eggs, the single worst name for a MacGuffin in a movie. <laughs> Maybe ever. I mean, I think this is much worse than the rabbit's foot, which at least is intriguing and interesting. Anyway, the three of Cleopatra's eggs are the MacGuffins in this movie. But the problem for both John and Nolan is that a mysterious figure known as the Bishop... The Bishop! ...is also after these eggs. And wouldn't you know, it turns out to be Gal Gadot's 
who is extremely capable. Sorry. Sorry, also attractive. Yes, correct. Um, (laughs) I thought that's where you were going. (laughs) And uh, yes, is after the same thing. So they're going to have to try and assemble all the pieces, catch them all like Pokemon for no reason before an arbitrarily decided date. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I, I, I just find this kind of over the top. I feel like everybody's on autopilot. They get, you know, uh, Johnson back in the jungle at one point so he can just like have his shirt open which I don't object to but at the same time like every film really you but know he did not wear a beige shirt this time it was like a dark it was a grey darker, yeah, <laughs> so okay. if that ever comes up in one of those picture rounds in a quiz of like which the rock movie is it and it's all identical the one where he's wearing a darker shirt than usual will be that is a notice. genuinely helpful tip I like that yes <laughs> and, and helpfully Ryan Reynolds is wearing the dumbest jungle outfit ever in the same scene but Ryan Reynolds is so you know just doing his shtick in this this one and you know he can be really he is a good actor Ryan Reynolds he can act but you maybe need to rein him in just a little bit and because it is getting a bit tired and I was I was bored at times. There, there's mm. also like, you know, silly double crosses and stuff because of course Ryan Reynolds is a thief and therefore there's going to be that kind of thing. But not in a way that was surprising or clever or particularly interesting. There was clearing The Rock's name, but again, not in a way that felt urgent or important. There's a little bit of bonding over bad fathers, which felt just tired and, you know, my, you know me and father complexes. I'm not really into it. You love it. them. Um, just like your own father and like little things like why are they sent to a Russian prison when they're caught in Italy like there was see I I actually enjoyed this film quite a lot and I went into it with with fairly low expectations I felt really let down by Free Guy in the summer and I'm bored of Ryan Reynolds' shtick I actually Mm. found him quite funny in this one but there's a couple of action sequences which I both thought were quite good, but it was like cribbing from two of the big Marvel movies this year. Yeah. So you have an actually like pretty decent fight on some scaffolding on like a building site sort of thing, which is not as good as the one in Shang Chi, but actually I thought was quite good. And there's some nice fluid camera stuff. And then you also get an escape from a Russian prison in yeah. the snow with a helicopter, which again was quite well done, but it's not as good as the one in Black Widow. Um, it, it, it probably wow. a coincidence, but felt yeah. like a strange kind of echo I'm, of two big Marvel movies from like, I'm sure it, yeah I'm sure it is a coincidence but and, and look they, they did shoot under par, at least partially lockdown conditions and you can tell in the appalling green screen in a couple of scenes mm. like really genuinely yeah. bad green like screen like achingly bad green screens but also <laughs> they've forgotten to put something in in the background they've <laughs> yeah. forgotten to key something in so they've just got a green screen it, it, honestly green. it would have been it would have been more con- convincing at times but like also I just feel like both stars maybe just need to rein it in like 5 or 10% because both of them at one point in very or various points in the movie drink their own branded alcohol I miss that. And I'm like, guys, I, I know, and I'm, I'm sure you're making a lot of money from those and, and you're, I, I'm sure they're very nice alcohol. I don't know. But like, come on, <laughs> play a character. You can tell, tell that Helen and I don't drink because um, I don't think the phrase is, you can tell they're very nice alcohol. I'm sure I don't they're think very that's nice what... alcohol. <laughs> yes. Well done. You've made a good alcohol. <laughs> Go you. I know you have a fan base. I know you want to serve that fan base. I know you want to do the things that people like about you, but... Don't be beholden to that to this extent is my big takeaway. Yeah. Oh, I'd love the big takeaway. Um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, Sophie, what do you think of this? Um, this really disappointed me. I don't mind the Ryan Reynolds stick. I can watch it for quite a long time, but this film just felt so shallow to me. Um, the daddy issue stuff really wound me up because they just crowbar it in mm. as if they're trying to give them some depth, but 
they don't actually give us anything else that that would give us that. John, um, the Rock's character, John talks about getting his life back, but we haven't been shown any of his life, so we don't care. We don't care. Yeah. yeah, the green screen wound me up. The action is like very, very choppy. You can just see the stunt doubles like a lot, and I, I understand that they're not doing all their own stunts, but it just felt particularly obvious. So that 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 was distracting to me, and. I get what you mean saying about reining it in like maybe Ryan Reynolds definitely needs to do that but I felt with The Rock like he wasn't really giving much like he just sort of is himself and and the same with Gal Gadot I don't really get much much charm out of them really yeah. she was at least trying something new you know this is not a, a nice character like we've yeah. mostly seen from her before but yeah. I'm not sure it was a particularly interesting no character. absolutely not and I I didn't there was there's hints at, at sort of chemistry between them which I just didn't feel that that didn't feel convincing to me at all from the trailer I had hopes for some like cool visuals like there's a scene in sort of like um, a room with like stuff in glass cases and like weapons against this red light and that looks like pretty cool but um, that was probably the highlight for me yeah I was pretty disappointed with this one alright so that seems like a fair old range of opinions there so naturally we gave it three stars <laughs> I would say three stars I feel like the the rock balances out the slightly more obnoxious Ryan Reynolds-ness Gal Gadot is doing something slightly different I thought there was a the, the editing and the action stuff is is quite choppy but there's some really nice kind of camera movements and shots and him flinging the camera around which <laughs> had great. a little bit more ambition than just the movie stars the movie on Netflix which is what I thought this was going to be and it, and it kind of is but it's a bit better than that all right. Well, listen, celebrate Ross and Marshall Thurber week, uh, perhaps by watching Red Notice, but certainly by watching Dodgeball. Yes. Uh, which remains his best movie. Next up. Now, this has been Lin-Manuel Miranda's year, cinematically yes. speaking, which is good. It's always good to see an unknown really rise <laughs> to, the, <laughs> to the occasion. Uh, and so we had In the Heights earlier on, Encanto, the movie, the Disney animation for which he wrote the music is coming out very, very soon. But he is making his directorial debut this week with Tick, Tick, Boom, which is also, like Red Notice, available on Netflix. So this is his directorial debut, Ben, but it's not based, it's not something that he wrote himself. No, so this is, it's quite a complex setup. So this is based on a one-man stage show by Jonathan Larson, who is a musical theatre guy who went on to create Rent, which he never got to see Rent because he died like the night that Rent was going to be debuting. So he never got to see that show. But before then, he wrote this like one-man show about the failed musical that he had previously written. That has been expanded, and this is Lin-Manuel Miranda's filmed version of Jonathan Larson's autobiographical one-man show about his other show that never made it. And that kind of, all those different layers of it, for me, actually really contributed to the film. And I feel like they make that a feature of the film, that it is a portrait of the theatre whiz mm -hmm. as a young man, that it kind of actually, there's extra layers within it of you are seeing somebody else telling Jonathan Larson's story that is also then him on the stage with the piano doing his own show that then you also go into the story that he is telling and seeing like actual full-on musical sequences like in the diner where he works and in the bohemian sort of New York apartments that he lives in and has parties in. And this has Andrew Garfield as Jonathan Larson who I thought was absolutely incredible yeah. in this. I thought he just 
really, really grabbed the screen the whole time. And it's it's interesting as well, because Lin-Manuel Miranda is a massive Jonathan Larson fan. Like, Rent was the musical that blew his mind and that kind of set him on the path to where he is now. And I think you feel some of that musical DNA in Lin-Manuel Miranda's stuff. He is the perfect person to tell this story of a musical theatre genius who at the age of 29 is writing like he's running out of time, writes day and night like he's running out of time, and that we know he is because this is set about five years before Rent and before he passes away, but he is running out of time and he's living in Bohemian New York in the early 90s um, at the height of the AIDS crisis and he is seeing friends dying. So there's a serious kind of element to this Mm -hmm. that also is a love letter to musical theatre, to Lin-Manuel Miranda's sort of personal musical theatre hero, but that isn't a pure hagiography because the central thing here is that Jonathan Larson is trying to come up with this killer song for the second act of this musical that we know is never really going to make it. And that is his big drama, while around him people are dying and his girlfriend is facing a, a, a job that would take her away from New York. And I think it does a good job of like building in that self-obsession as part of the character. Mm. And I think that partly comes from Jonathan Larson, but I think it's a good job that, that Lin-Manuel Miranda doesn't smooth that yeah. out. I didn't love the songs as much as most of Lin's own stuff. That, that musical DNA is really interesting, but it, it, it they didn't grab me as much. But there are a couple of really big bangers. Yeah. On the way in this morning, I had 3090, which felt like a personal attack in the year that I turned 30, um, about his anxieties about, yeah. <laughs> about reaching that birthday. There should almost be a trigger warning on this film. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, there is much discussion of your life being over at 30. Please be advised that if you're already over at 30, this film may make you feel ancient. As a 29-year-old, I felt very seen by this film. (laughs) Get out. It's a personal (laughs) attack is what it is. But it doesn't always work right. And I think Lin-Manuel Miranda does a great job overall. I feel like his vision for what this film is and should be and can be really comes across. A couple of the musical sequences, I felt some of the limitations of the filmmaking. But for the most part, in terms of putting you in that guy's head and into his head through Lin-Manuel Miranda's head... It really works. It's very, very musically. It's very, very theatre. And if you are allergic to that, you will come out in hives in the first five minutes. It is very (laughs) sincere. But if you go with it and if you lean into that, um, I I enjoyed this a lot. I thought there was lots of great stuff in it. Yeah, um, I'm someone who is mildly allergic to that kind of theatre stuff, but this didn't... This. This didn't get on my nerves at all. Hooray! Um, yeah, I, I, I really I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I thought some of the sequences were great. Um, there's one song where in the setup where it's um, Jonathan's band performing, there's him and Vanessa Hudgens is also in this, and they're sat side by side and they have this like to and fro song. And I thought the mm-hmm. setup visually for that and cut in between like him having this him having this argument with his girlfriend, I thought that setup worked really well. There's a bit of magical realism to it, which like um, felt similar to In the Heights in that way. And I liked a lot of the songs. So I don't always remember these kinds of songs, but like you say, today I've still got some of them in my head. Um, and I thought Andrew Garfield was absolutely brilliant um had such energy the whole way through um really great performance yeah agreed i think i think garfield's terrific and i i'm similar to you on the songs I, like when i heard the trailer i was like uh, if that's the catchiest they've got they're in trouble but actually this is a this has got some bangers in it it's really good fun lots yeah, of bangers this week lots of bangers and potatoes so there's bangers and mash <laughs> right that's there us. 
We gave us three stars. Three stars then for Tick, Tick, Boom in the year of Lima Miranda in the week mm. of Rawson Marshall Thurber. I'd go higher. There you go. Oh, sorry. In the week of Rawson <laughs> Marshall Thurber. <laughs> Next up, where should we go? Mothering Sunday? Sure. Should we go Mothering Sunday? Sophie. Yep. Tell sure. us all about Mothering Sunday. Yep. So Mothering Sunday, um, this stars Odessa Young. Um, who you might recognise from Shirley, which I think was last year, the the Josephine Decker film starring Elizabeth Moss. Um, she plays Jane, who is a cleaner, a maid for um, this fancy couple played by Olivia Coleman and Colin Firth. She's having this um, elusive hidden affair with another posh gentleman called Paul, who's played by Josh O'Connor. And they're sort of getting together in secret. This is... Largely set in 1924, which is obviously shortly after the First World War, and that kind of looms heavily over this film. Um, the characters have gone through some grief um, around that, and this it's this is basically an exploration of that relationship and how it inspired Jane to become somewhat of a writer. It's very time hoppy, so it flits back between when she first met Paul to Jane, sort of in the present day and in between. Um, so that can be quite tricky to keep up with. I found in places I had to just really think when we were flitting to a new scene, where are we in time? Um, it's written by Alice Birch, who was one of the writers on Normal People, the um, TV show, mm. and you can really feel that influence here in the writing um, and even in the visuals. It looks really beautiful. Um, lots of close-ups, lots of very dreamy um, cinematography. And it's it's very romantic, but especially in the second half, it, it kind of loses it a little bit, I feel. Um, and the plot is a little bit thin. It goes for emotional beats and and they do play off, but not, not quite as, as strongly as you want them to. Um, so I found this um, nice, enjoyable, romantic, but it, it'd be a three-star for me. It's It's not something that I'll probably remember going forward I would think I don't think it'll stick in the mind well I mean full disclosure first of all I did a little bit of work on this and was on set for a day so I was kind of I'd read the script and everything and I knew I was going to admire it I yeah. didn't know if I was going to like it or love it and I actually did it really got me I yeah. thought I found it incredibly emotional I think a lot of that came from the the sort of post-war setting because you have these basically three posh families living near each other obviously um Jane works for one who's we, we should mention Colin Firth and um, Olivia Coleman are her employers. Yes, and and the the man she's having an affair with is the sole surviving son of all three families. Yeah, yeah. So just the the background of grief mm. and tragedy there, I find really affecting. Um, but I also got really in, invested in Jane, which you know that was kind of I guess what I wasn't sure I would do, and I I thought she was fantastic. All right, so I really enjoyed it. Okay, Helen, there in the bee in the pocket of Big Mother and Sunday. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't know what we gave this uh, officially as Empire. I know we gave Mother's Day, the 2011 movie with Rebecca de Mornay, we gave that three stars. So just give that, wow. give those three stars to this. <laughs> wow. I believe it was three, I think. Three stars. All right. Three stars in for Mothering Sunday. And I know we're in flux at the moment on the star rating for Home Sweet Home Alone because <laughs> Helen here is writing the review of that movie as we speak. Yeah. Hell's Bells. Tell us about Home Sweet Home Alone. Yeah, this is essentially a do-over. Um, technically, I guess it's a sequel because it takes place yes. in a universe where mm. Macaulay Culkin's Kevin was left at home alone. Mm -hmm. um, but it is essentially the exact same plot with a couple of important differences. So in this case, Max, played by Archie Yates of Jojo Rabbit fame, is left at home alone by his um, stressed out mother, Ashleen B, when she's put on a different flight to Tokyo. And yes, he goes nuts and runs around all the house doing crazy things. 
Um, but the difference is about the baddies, or are they? Because mm. in this case, Rob Delaney's Jeff and his wife Pam, played by Ellie Kemper, are basically trying to um, retrieve some property that Max appears to have stolen from them and that could really get them out of the massive financial difficulties that they're in and, you know, help this very likable, very sympathetic, extremely relatable couple to get back on an even keel and not have to sell their family home. And that's a problem for me because when you start hitting people like that in the face with a giant sack of flour, it's not so fun. When people like that step on, you know, get their shoes set on fire or step on sharp things or, you know, Lego, Mm. like you don't want them to be badly injured. Mm. And you're thinking, what is this snotty nosed little rich kid doing putting these decent people through this? Now, there is an element of misunderstanding. Max is not that much of a, a monster, but at the same time, he is indeed. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, I find that frustrating. I also find it frustrating that they have an incredible cast of really, really talented mm-hmm. um, comedy people. You've got Keenan Thompson, you've got Timothy Simons, Ali Mackey, um, Chris Parnell in there. They I ha- mean, they have Andy Daly. Andy Daly is yeah. one of the funniest mm-hmm. people on the planet. If anyone listens to Comedy Bang Bang uh, regularly, and I haven't listened to his own podcast, uh, which, which I really need to do so. Uh, but Andy Daly is one of the greatest improvisational comedians on the planet. Yep. He is in this movie for two scenes. He has one line. I mean, Chris Parnell has one line. Jim Rash barely gets a Jim look Rash. Him, you know? Very funny, though. Very Jim funny. Rash is very funny. But, you know, there's a feeling that there's a longer movie mm-hmm. here that maybe bits of it have been excised to focus on the, the, the through line. I wouldn't be surprised as well if there was much more of the kid in this. Yes, Max gets no character development. I mean, Kevin in the first film learned some stuff. He got to do some stuff. He he became more independent and more self-confident and also became a slightly nicer kid and not quite so much of a brat by the end of the mm. film, while still essentially being a Looney Tunes cartoon. This film kind of reigns back in the kind of anarchic violence of the first one, which I agree with you in, in disapproving of. Mm-hmm. I think it's genuinely a much more dangerous film for kids to see the first one mm-hmm. than, say, Reservoir Dogs, which shows <laughs> consequences to violence. Mm-hmm. I would absolutely yeah, yeah re- revoke those two readings. But anyway, um, but at least that, you know, it has a point, it has a tone, it has something behind it. This one feels like they've declawed the original and then not put in enough jokes to make up for that. So I was just, yeah, disappointed. Yeah, I was I was actually quite furious as I was watching this because I just think as much as some people don't like the other films, I think there's a lot of potential here. Rob Delaney and Ellie Kemper are so watchable. I think they really get you through it. Ellie Kemper in particular is, is, in particular is brilliant. But there's just like core beats of the Home Alone story that they're missing that get you emotionally invested. Yes, the house is a bit hectic before they the uh, Max's parents go away, but not you don't feel that to the same degree that you do in the original. Like there's like a very short scene where like Max gets a little bit annoyed at a cousin. You don't even see the number of cousins, so it doesn't feel intense. So then when he's alone, you don't get that relief and that freedom that you get from um, Macaulay Culkin as Kevin. You don't see Ashling B actually leave the house. You don't see how he gets left. Well, you see a little bit of how he gets left alone. 
but it doesn't really explain it properly. Like it doesn't feel um, realistic or near enough in the way. <laughs> Chris is laughing at me, but no, it, it, at least it, there's a sort of head count in the original, yeah. and you can see sort of how it happened. But in this one, that feels just yeah. totally left field. Yeah, and um, yeah, so that those beats just really didn't work for me. And so then, by the time you're watching the couple sort of get owned at the house by Max, um, you're just thinking this is just not very nice to watch now. And you're rooting for them, and I just felt like like you're rooting for the wrong people all the way through, mm. um, and so it didn't didn't really come together for me. Hmm. Interesting. So this is two stars then, Helen, right? I think I'm it's going to be a two yeah. star. <laughs> sounds like a yeah, two star but, film, yeah. but that sounds uh, about right. But it made me laugh. There were funny bits. Yeah, there are. Funny I definitely laughed. There are funny bits. And on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by Jeremy Renner mm. and. Hayley Steinfeld, because one Hawkeye ain't enough. Hawkeye is about to hit on Disney Plus, starts on November 24th. And on next week's show, uh, we'll be talking to both Hawkeyes, Jeremy Renner and Hayley Steinfeld. Plus, we'll be talking to the director of King Richard, Rinaldo Marcus Green. And knowing me, I probably booked like another three or four guests and then forgotten who they are. So check out next week's show for details of that. Uh, in fact, when I say that, this actually isn't the end of the show. We have one more guest. So, just real quick, <laughs> I completely forgot about this. Um, Naked, Mike Lee's Naked, which is my, I think it's the best Mike Lee film. It's an incredible film, came out in 1992. It's nearly 30 years old. It's being given a big old re-release in cinemas this week and then later in the month on home entertainment uh, in a 4K transfer. It's never looked better and... For the magazine I spoke and um, recently I had the great pleasure of speaking to Mike Lee and David Thewlis together. It was the first time they'd seen each other in many, many years and the first time they had, uh, they'd certainly done an interview about the film in many, many years as well. Uh, a large part of that interview is in the issue of, Ma- of Empire Magazine, which is on sale right now. But you're about to hear a few excerpts from that interview that aren't in the magazine. So that's very, very exciting. And don't forget to go and check out Naked, which uh, reopens this weekend. And Mike Lee is doing a couple of in-person events uh, one in Manchester and I believe one in London as well so if you have time get yourself along to one of those and I will also take the time here to announce that we're doing something new on the Empire Podcast over the next couple of weeks we are going to be doing a an oral history podcast dedicated to Naked uh, featuring contributions from Mike Lee David Thewlis the cinematographer Dick Pope the actors Leslie Sharp and Peter White uh, and many, many other people who worked on the film. It is um, something we've never really done before in the podcast, but um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Not editing it, it's going to be hellish, but hopefully it's going to be a really, really great listen. Uh, but in the meantime, here is Mike Lee and David Thewlis. Do you please enjoy. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for so much for taking this little trip down memory lane with us. It's uh, When was the last time you, you actually saw each other? Whoa, a long time ago. Long time ago. I think we saw each other, we passed by each other in Seven Dials, and I was with my daughter. Absolutely, on a Sunday. And I can remember. Yeah. I, was with, I was with Marion Bailey, yeah. my partner, and you were with Gracie, your daughter. I was with my little Gracie, who's now 16. I've just been brought back from school right now. Have um, you ever said to her, say goodnight, Gracie? Yes, yes. I used to say it all the time. Yes. And nobody knew. She didn't get the reference. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, do you get the reference? I do get the reference. I do okay, get the reference. Cool. Did you have to explain the reference to her? I still have it. I used to say it a long time ago. I haven't said it for years, but maybe now she's back at say tonight and I'll explain it tonight. <laughs> 
So, Mike, because obviously the the, the film is uh, fairly episodic and you know picaresque. You know, you know Johnny's going on this this journey, this odyssey through the various nights in London. When you knew you had this character, this firecracker of a character who can be many things in in any scene, any given scene, is that when you knew you wanted to adopt that approach and just throw him into these different scenes with with various characters and see how he'd react? I can't really answer that, frankly, um, and I don't think it's it's a question with an answer or that the premise of the question makes very much sense, really, because, you know, it's not as though David and I worked together and then I got in all these other... I mean, the other actors were all part of the thing to start with. Yeah. So there were worlds on... So, no, I mean, it, 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 I think it's more complex than that. That's, well, that's what you do anyway, though, isn't it? I mean, you, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. All throw together, you, you start with the characters, with yeah. every single actor, and then but, Mike decides how yeah. they can all meet, where they're going to meet, and what the, the duration of their acquaintance is. Mm. That's right. I lined up Peter White and Deborah McLaren. I lined up those two on a vague assumption that in some way they would be a married couple or something like that. But once we started to, the ideas started to evolve, and I don't, I don't know at what point or how I thought about the um, security guard and the, I just did at, at some point, and then we investigated, and I didn't got the idea of the woman through the window, but somehow these things come to you, and then you set them up and explore them. So I, I don't really, um, uh, you know, I, I, I can't, I think your question is, Definitely one with no answer. Really. <laughs> the, best, the best type of question as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See if you can do another one. Yeah, I'm sure I've got loads. I'm sure I've got loads. And it's great because it makes for a very short interview. <laughs> <laughs> there have been lots of stories over the years, David, about uh, nearly stabbing Ewan Bremner with a screwdriver or <laughs> the Kenneth Cranham uh, encounter outside a tube station. Uh, how much truth is there in all this? Uh, the Kenneth Cranham, well, coincidentally, I'm just doing a film right now with Helena Bonham Carter, and I've not seen Helena for maybe 13 years, and I saw her yesterday. And the first thing she said was, like, do you remember when I was going to be making? Uh, and because she's part of the Kenneth Cranham story, because we were shooting the scene, the scene where I'm outside Leicester Square tube station, and I was, as is my remit, utterly in character, and Mike was across the street on a long lens and uh, we were shooting the scene and I, one is not allowed to come out of character until you're told and Ken came along and he'd heard some rumours that I had gone a bit strange recently but I was just doing a bit and so when he came along he was like Dave, Dave, are you alright? And I said, fuck up and because and, I was treating him <laughs> as just a member of the public and uh, he's like going, Dave, I've, I've heard, I'm worried about you, mate. I'm worried about you and I was like, did you fuck off, mate? Like that. And he's like, and then eventually I looked at Mike and Mike was like, carry on, carry on. Um, and I just just went just like just fuck up. Look, I'm filming. I'm filming now. And, and Ken was like, "Good, you're not filming, Dave." me. <laughs> 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 and I was like, "I am, mate. When you fuck up, we're on camera right now." And he was like, "Oh God, Dave, it's worse than I thought, mate." Until I somehow I pointed across the street, and he saw and Ken was like, oh, fuck, fuck. <laughs> and cleared out a shot and looked at Mike again. Mike was like, "Carry on, carry on, carry on." So I was like, got back in, start smoking again, looking around, looking around. Then Helena Bone Carter. Walked into shot, and I, at that point, I took myself out. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, <laughs> get all the actors of Charing Cross Road. 
yeah, yeah. It's a, a dangerous place to film. Yeah, so so that that is true. And the well, I mean, you know, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't really stab him with a screwdriver. I had a sharpened screwdriver in my bag that I don't think that Mike knew about because I'd stolen it in an improvisation. And the first time you and I did an improvisation, it got very heated. And I thought at some point uh, that was an option, but I. Mike would always stop an improvisation if it obviously if it got too violent. And I think that's the only time you invited an actor to stop it if you felt like there was impending actual violence. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so that's what happened. And indeed, I think at that moment also the police came along, did they not? Well, that's what that what that was is that we, we did a, the improvisation long before we shot the scene in Soho of uh, Johnny and um, Archie. The improvisation was on the steps of. It was church in Marleybone, near where we were had a rehearsal base. Manchester Square, I think. and uh, th- that's right. And um, Ewan was shouting out "Marley, Marley, and "fuck off" and all that. And somebody opened a window across. It, it wasn't at night; it was in daytime. And somebody opened a window across the road and told him to sh- to shut up. And he told them to fuck off. So they caught the cops. <laughs> And uh, I, I was, of course, as I, as is my wont, lurking behind a wall. There they were in character. And next thing is, the, the cops screech to a halt and jump out. And uh, of course, I rush out and say, "Come out of character," and uh, explain that we're making a film. And they say, as they always do on this occasion, "Where's the camera?" Which obviously didn't exist. And um, they really didn't buy it until we went round the corner to our rehearsal. We took them round the corner to and f- where we are. Uh, production assistant was there waiting for us um, who corroborated that in fact we were what we said we were but uh, it was quite dangerous <laughs> but you did say you did say on stage when I interviewed you that it, it was a movie that changed your life and Mike I, I, I saw in a previous interview with you where you said that it was the movie that opened doors internationally for you so I did yeah, yeah. We, went to, we went to Cannes that opened yeah. doors yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, without without a doubt, it changed my my life yeah, in a very very dramatic way in all kinds of ways, and mostly in, in fact, my I, I met the woman who is now my wife very shortly after it. It sort of as repercussions right down to this very day. And, uh, and I, I, I mean, the only thing I the only thing I I said this to David recently, but um, well, when we made this film, my eldest son Toby Lee, who's an illustrator. Uh, was 14, and his brother, was, who was a filmmaker who was just making his first feature film, was 11. And um, nobody knew what we were doing, and then we made the film, and I said, oh, well, we'll invite them to the cast and crew. And my then wife, Alison Steadman, and the mother of um, some guys who were friends of the boys, um, said, they got the whiff of the thing and they said, no, we want to see it first. So they came to a screening and they said, no way, no way can the boys see that. You know, it's out of the question. So to avoid an epic war, I said, yeah, okay, all right. And very shortly after, the, after that, there was a screening at the London Film School to which I got the boys in. One of them has become a filmmaker, another one of the lads. I mean, it's absolutely, they just thought it was the greatest thing ever. And it turned them on to my films, which they hadn't really up to then. You know, they were still at the sort of, you know, Batman and uh, Superman thing. <laughs> um, and it completely, I mean, and even to this day, I mean, they are 
massive, massive naked fans, all the guys, their mates, everybody, you know, and they can't wait to see this new version of things. So for me, that was a, a massive um, personal turning point. Um, I just have to share that with you, really. And that was Mike Lee and David Euless. And now that is it for this week's Emperor Podcast. You know who's joining us next week's podcast, uh, Jeremy Renner. Ronaldo Marcus Green, Hayley Seinfeld, you know all that. So all that remains for me is to say goodbye to my three colleagues of such lethal cunning, one of whom is gearing up to do an interview with Adam Driver as we speak. Maybe we should just keep going, Ben, and just listen to you do this live. Please don't. Uh, we'll get we'll, we'll, we'll get out and leave Ben to talk to Adam Driver, the star of House of Gucci, in private. Kylo Ren, Ben. Mm-hmm. It's Kylo Ren. It's very exciting. Isn't it pronounced Gucci? A uh, gookie, gookie, I think. It was a gookie. Yes. Have we been pronouncing it wrong all this time? Apparently so. <laughs> House of Gookie. Wow. <laughs> I believe is what it's called. That's wild. Because anyway. even when I interviewed Ridley Scott, he pronounced it Gucci. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's fine. It's all good. Uh, it is goodbye from debutante, the Sophie Butcher. Goodbye. Have Thank you, you for having it? me. I've How's loved it, it. Yeah? I've loved it. Thank you very much. Okay. Even the bits where we were talking about, you know, shaggy potatoes and whatnot. Especially those bits. Especially those bits. What All you right. do in your own time is up to you, Chris. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is goodbye from our gig queen, Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. Toodaloo, toodaloo, toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to watch Roadhouse on a loop whilst getting my teeth <laughs> into a sexy potato. Oh yeah, that's what I call a weekend. Sexual disappointment, guaranteed. <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. How do you sexually disappoint a potato? How do I sexually disappoint myself? <laughs> <laughs> like I know what I'm getting into. <laughs> I know it's going to end badly. <laughs>